Team Rabbit Hole Edition 163 with Claire Edwards and special guest Steve Weibro, Operator Consciousness, activist, researcher, co-author of the International Appeal to Stop 5G on Earth and in Space, former UN staff member, sovereign creator being, join the team as we explore the fractalized depths of human consciousness technological developments, the process of magic as in the creation of reality, all within the unprecedented moment that is now. Well met and welcome. Hello, thank you. Hello. How's it going, guys? Raphael, that music was so uh, bombastic and the intro was verbose but accurate so i appreciate it i kind of see where this is going to go so that's always good um this is going to be uh numerologically reduced to the 10 card of the major arcana the wheel of fortune in this uh deck david d'angelo's star man tarot deck uh, it's the wheel of life it says i understand there is a time and a season for everything karmic forces are at work balancing the light with the dark understanding nature's cycles watching time pass and opening yourself to the unfolding of life around you. What would the Galactic Heritage Card be? Of course, this has to be the first card within the present timeline of Orion, number 55, called Fusion and Magic. The Orion energy, deeply polarized, went through a dramatic healing process in which those polarities fused together to create a powerful energy that fueled their society's transformation. Whenever two forces collide within us, it creates a process of fusion that releases an intense energy for manifestation. This is the basis of what we call magic, the fusion of two opposite energies that are harnessed and directed in a desired way. This is why it is important to embrace both the shadow and light sides within us. We then create magical transformation. Embrace your abilities as a magician. It's 2.22 here in Colorado, so this is already rather synchronistic. I'm curious, Claire and Steve, uh, between that Wheel of Fortune card and what Raphael just read, uh, did anything pop out or resonate to y'all? Absolutely. I had exactly this aspect in uh, in today's day, actually. And the polarities, like uh, what, what was in my experience was that the two extremes are of different degrees on the different uh, uh, ends of the spectrum. But um, they are, uh, what is the, the English word? I think it's uh, the in juxtaposition. Is that true? So, so this was my experience. Appropriate, yeah. And it's kind of funny because like I was uh, in that Wheel of Fortune card, it was talking about balancing light and dark. And then literally the Orion card he was talking about is kind of the story of how one in a certain time stream or whatever would come to that conclusion. Uh, Claire, was there anything that popped here or not so much? Well, um, I had 22.22 there while you had 2.22. <laughs> so we've got some master numbers going. Um, yeah, I, I, I find that very interesting. And uh, Steve and I have often talked about how the New Age movement um, 
doesn't accept the dark side, but of course the dark side and the light side are both absolutely essential. If you think of the, the Tao, the yin and yang, it shows you that both are essential. Um, so I find that quite inspiring, um, what Raphael read, because um, that illustrates exactly what's happening here, that um, we've basically got these demonic forces now um, carrying out uh, this horrible agenda to enslave humanity. But actually, Steve and I both see this as, as an enormous opportunity and uh, a huge lesson for humanity to, to bring us back to ourselves and make us realize that we're divine creator beings. And, uh, you know, this is our opportunity to, to make a completely new world and bring in the new paradigm, which is what it's all about. As they say, no mud, no lotus. It's kind of birth pangs of a new aeon in a new age kind of way. In a Judeo-Christian sense, it seems like an apocalypse. There's a lot of ins and outs, to quote the Big Lebowski, going on. Um, we don't have to go into, like, call me Ishmael depths here, but I'm kind of curious, Claire, as to uh, who you are, because we've already talked to Steve, and how you got hooked up with Steve, and maybe some of the momentum um, of what you guys have been doing lately, how you, how you got into that time stream. Well, um, Steve and I met synchronistically. Um, I mean, the interesting thing for me is that when I got into all of this campaigning about 5G, I found that absolutely every experience of my life was brought into play to, to engage in this activism. Um, now, what was interesting was that before I got involved in this, I'd spent six years looking into the nature of reality. <laughs> so I was saying to myself, well, where does that fit in? You know? And it took really, it's, it's actually taken until this point for me to bring that in. And, and the reason for that is that I think spirituality was eliminated from this materialist par paradigm about 300, 400 years ago. And it's very difficult to meld, you know, especially when you're talking about 5G, you're in a sort of facts and figures world. Stick to the data, don't stray from it, you know, produce the evidence. Um, but actually, what this really is, is all about consciousness and the new paradigm. So this has to come in. Um, but if you're going to bring it in, then you've got to find a way to meld this with the, the current paradigm. And I think that's the challenge. Yeah? Um, but to go back to um, how Steve and I met, um, that was a total synchronicity. Um, there was a lady I met, um, I'd only known her two or three weeks, and she was in close contact with Steve, and she realized that we were both very interested in 5G, so she brought us together. And as soon as Steve and I met, we were just totally on the same wavelength, and have been ever since and we we just totally spark off each other that's dope um synchronicity abounds for those with eyes and ears to see it so i'm glad that uh you know in that sense you found the others it's always always gonna make a dumb oh you're on the same 5g wave or you know like but a joke but now that i've 
said it. It's not even half funny. But the point is, yes, we find people that we're like like in tune with, I guess. And it's always funny to see kind of in the um, video game or the film of life uh, who are um, accomplices and, you know, <laughs> cohorts become. Um, so I'm kind of curious, uh, when you said you were exploring consciousness for a few years, like ontologically, what were you kind of going through? Um, you've mentioned the Tao and you talked about like Carl Jungian synchronicity already. Um, was there kind of a flavor you were going after or what did that process look like for you? <laughs> you are on okay, Team well, Roundhole. I, got, I am was very all, curious. It was all a bit weird. <laughs> Do you want to hear how weird it was and, and synchronistic it was? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, we talk about psychedelics, we talk about all sorts of stuff on here. Um, and trust me, you're talking to some people who have seen and experienced some weird right. stuff. So okay. don't feel like out of your element. Like we're 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 team here. Don't sweat it. Okay. Yeah, at least compared to the other episodes, probably it will not stand out too much or surprise us. You know. So let's see. <laughs> okay. Well, um. So what happened was um, my brother died in, I think it was 2012. And um, I'd never visited his home because he lived in Portugal. And when he died, um, we went there for the funeral. My other brother and I went there for the funeral. And my nephew took me to my brother's apartment. And... I found on his bookshelves a lot of the books that I owned as well. Yeah? And my nephew said to me, would you like to have a, one of your brother's books? And so the book I chose was called, it was Fritjof Capra, The Tao of Physics. And I took this book and I read it. And of course, it, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with The Tao of Physics, but basically, um, it's comparing the, the, the findings of quantum physics with Eastern mysticism. So each chapter is on a, a different branch of mysticism and, and showing you the parallels. So that book basically took me on a journey. And um, I don't know how much longer it was, but one of the, the major books that I found really, really interesting was a book by Hazel Courtney called Countdown to Coherence. And what she did was she explained um, alternative, I mean, it's not really alternative, but but sort of the science of consciousness, you know, because there's lots of people like R Rupert Sheldrake and uh, Gary Schwartz and uh, Dean Radin with the Global Consciousness Project. And she went and talked to these um, scientists and found out about their research and then compiled it all in this book. So I got to the end of this book, and interestingly enough, um, I was reading the last couple of pages on my way to work. So I got to work, and I thought, well, it's only a couple of pages left, so I'll just read that in the office before I start my work. So I finished the book, and I shut the back cover, and I said to myself, I need to study that. And I didn't know what it was called. Uh, but I found out two hours later, because as soon as I decided to study that, about two hours later, the lady in the next office, who at the time I didn't know her that well, but she walked into my office and she said, I'm organizing a course in Vienna on mediumship. <laughs> Would you like to join? <laughs> so I joined that. And... Um, and I, it was a course over 10 months, um, so a weekend, uh, one weekend per month for 10 months. 
And we looked into all sorts of things, remote viewing and mediumship, and we did all sorts of exercises. And I would go to this course every time and I'd say, I don't know how to do this. How am I supposed to do this? Where am I supposed to find this? You know, what, what's the mechanism here? And fortunately, this, this, the lady who was teaching the course was um, a very forceful personality. And I did find by the end of each weekend, I had managed somehow to work out how to do this thing. And, um, and so from that, then um, I went on to what I think is considered the premier college for mediumship in the world, which is Arthur Findlay College in the UK. And I went there and did a couple of courses and, of course, had a lot of very, very interesting encounters and, um, and did some very, very interesting courses. I mean, I don't want to keep milking the cow more than it needs to be, but like you went to Hogwarts, it sounds like. So what were, can you give us any, you know, anecdotes that you want? And if you don't, you can always say no, but I'm like, wow, I've never, I didn't know there was a school for mediumship. Like, is there kind of a, an air about it? Like, are people there kind of, is like the, you know, the Oracle with the people who are bending spoons where it's like, who's the one or like, how does it, how does that even feel? Well, it is exactly like Hogwarts, actually. Um, it's a lovely old listed building which was gifted um, by Arthur Findlay when he died. It was gifted to um, to be um, a college where they could teach mediumship and um, lots of different mediums, like the top mediums come in and, uh, and give different courses. So all sorts of you know, different courses according to the medium. Um, and they have, so usually you go there for six days and it's quite intensive. Um, obviously there are different levels, um, but you've basically taken through the various steps and um, try out lots of different things. So the first course I did was the basic course in mediumship. And you have a group of about, uh, depending on the number of students, but about 15 students. And you do all these exercises where you do readings for each other. And, um, and it was really, the thing about mediumship is that it's incredibly healing. This is what, you know, people have this sort of weird idea about mediumship, uh, you know, communicating with spirits. But... But actually, it seems that people who have passed over are really eager to come and talk to their relatives who are still, you know, <laughs> going through this life experience. Um, and so it's uh, it's incredibly healing. I mean, I, I can give you um, an example of one of the very first readings I did, if you like. Oh, I'm all ears. And I'm kind of curious what Raphael thinks because he channels. And obviously, Steve, if you've got any comments or anything, feel free to jump in. I'm also very interested to hear this um, this one example. And uh, I, I have to laugh a lot as I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Well, uh, you know, I have to say that uh, I, I still regard myself as a sort of, you know, a beginning medium, you know. I, 
I'm when you go and do these courses or when I go and do these courses, I'm surrounded by people who very often are natural mediums and they've done it all their lives. Whereas I regard myself as, you know, I, I, I think I was fairly rational until about six years ago when everything changed. Um, but anyway, I'll give you this, this example. Well, that's the wheel of fortune um, right there. I mean, sometimes you're rational, exactly. sometimes. But so basically the caveat would be you're Gandalf the gray. You're not yet Gandalf the white or something, but uh, go ahead. Well, um, one of the, the first readings that I gave, um, there was a lady there in the group who looked very sad. Yeah. I looked at, you know, obviously when you meet people for the first time, you, you look at them and you get an impression. She, she, her face was terribly, terribly sad. And, um, you pair with different people uh, in the course of the week. And eventually I paired with her. And, um, the reading I got was of a man in an RAF flying suit. And my father was also in the RAF, so this looked extremely familiar to me, just like a photo or photos that I'd seen of my father in one of these sort of sheepskin flying suits. Yeah? And, um, and that was her father. And um, I could very much feel that her father was a very sociable type. He liked to go for a drink and he was very well liked and hung out with, you know, his peers at the, at the pub, at the bar. And, um, and she told me that, uh, you know, when I finished giving the reading, she told me, oh, sorry, and, and one more thing about it, um, actually the most significant thing, was he showed me this woman, this bride, and I saw the bride very clearly, and I felt very clearly from him that this was the woman who was the love of his life. He absolutely adored this woman, this this bride, yeah? And um, so it was a very short reading on my part, but what the lady told me was that in fact, she had never met her father. And it was a real tragedy because what happened was at the end of the war, uh, so the her mother had met her father during the war. And at the end of the war, um, she, her mother, Sorry, I'm not making it very clear. This man was Scottish and the woman was English. And this woman's mother didn't want her daughter to disappear all the way up to Scotland. So when the, the boyfriend made contact, the woman's mother never told her. And he even, and each... Each part, you know, each person in this couple, they thought that the other one had not been in touch because the mother was not sending the letters to the boyfriend. And when the boyfriend wrote letters, the mother was not giving them to to her daughter. This sounds like the film The Notebook a lot. Uh, yeah, sense. and and he even came down and stayed in a hotel and came and knocked on the door. And the mother never told her daughter that he had come. So they both thought that the other person had lost interest and they each married somebody else. And 
um, decades later, the daughter, I think after her mother died, the daughter got in touch with her father and they exchanged two letters and they were planning to meet. And this was, you can imagine, you know, how desperate this, this lady was to, to meet her father finally, but he actually died before they ever met. And so the message that he was giving to me in this, re or to her in this reading, was that this, her mother was actually the love of his life, and he unfortunately was never able to marry her. And so this poor woman was deprived of the love of her father. And so you see, that's why I say mediumship is incredibly healing because the father is able to come through and tell his daughter how much he cares about her, you see? And this is, it's just so important. So not only is it healing from that point of view, but also knowing that we don't die, uh, you know, the, um, the, the most important aspect of mediumship is, is realizing that, of course, we never die. And the, our greatest fear in life is, of course, of death. So if you know you don't die, then you have no fear of death. Yeah? Kind and of it changes the, the, the quality of your entire life. You know? So I think mediumship is, is um, quite honestly essential. Yeah? Well, that's a beautiful uh, story as well. It's very tragic. I'm kind of curious, uh, Raphael or Steve, if you have any thoughts or comments. Um, it's funny because on the one hand, sometimes I'm like everything works out for, for you know perfectly. It's all all good and stuff. But then hearing things like that uh, would be a good example of um, I think one of the fundamental laws is like don't infringe on people's free will, and that mother was clearly doing that. So it'd be interesting to see kind of what happened, not karmically like what the retribution was, but it's like did she realize what she was doing? Like she was kind of thwarting love from blooming in the universe in a certain way for whatever reason she might have justified in her own mind. Well. I'd love for Steve to respond, but all I can say is just as Claire pointed out, and I would say very much rightfully so, for anyone who's, from my point of view, kind of seen the other side, no matter through what methodology, and really brings back the awareness that there is another side. It's not a blank screen. It's even, even more colorful than here. Imagine that. And uh, there is no end to it. Therefore, also meaning there is no need for a survival fear upon this plane ever aside let's say from some practical purposes in a sense but ultimately you can always choose and say okay before i choose this or before i allow this i can die and i don't have to be afraid of it because i'll just continue on anyhow so that is truly fundamental as to whether then one is easily controlled by survival fears and threats or not I was going to say, that was kind of like, that probably, that uh, worldview and that awareness of, um, and that perspective uh, with knowing that it's not, you know, the mouse gets trapped in the mouse trap and it's over and, oh my God, causes probably, the, you know, parasympathetic nervous system, the limbic system, all these things um, to respond differently. Like, you might actually have a very different 
phenomenological reality if you have certain kind of presuppositions set in place i guess for me it's always tricky because i don't discernment's hard so i don't want to like it reminds me a little of animal farm where it's like i don't want to be like oh candy mountain um on the one hand but at the same time like hope is what you know is the quintessential human thing in the matrix the architect's like hope oh my god you guys are so weird you monkeys uh and it works it's like it's our salvation in a sense i didn't mean to cut you off steve go for it no problem. No, it's totally organic and that's how a conversation should be. And yeah, I think it's very important to get a, a, a perspective of the other side. And isn't it interesting that we can see how that aspect of our natural state actually, because when we're children, I think, and it's also interesting that a lot of people can't remember their childhood and what happened there and only from like the age of four that memories come in and i find it very interesting that that is also one of the common themes of this matrix control system that we are primarily operating in in this world that it wants people not to have access to that other world i find this is also a common theme where we have the dominance of uh you know so-called evidence-based science which is not evidence-based at all <laughs> it's scientism it's uh, another religion uh and the absolute prevalence of all sorts of religions in this reality but you're not allowed to talk about spirits you're not allowed to talk about spirituality claire also alluded to this fact uh, that it's been going, it goes back to like 300 years. I mean, we've also had sort of like a, um, maybe beginnings also of a new renaissance when you think back at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century. Uh, for example, here in Vienna, you had the fin de siècle, for example, where people were talking about occultism, they were talking about esoteric concepts and the real flowering of, of consciousness, but that all... Uh, um, died of due to the due to the manipulation of the first world war and we live in a in a as as i know from claire i didn't know this notion before but we live in a materialist reductionist paradigm and we've been living it for quite a long time and i find it very interesting that this aspect is ridiculed you know and you, you know, we we have no evidence of that although we know the overwhelming evidence of people's experiences of how many have we had now i mean we've had millions over millions of people go over to the other side and have near death experiences and i can only say from my own experience when you read a near-death experience, like I read, uh, um, even from a neuroscientist, uh, he he wrote the book um, uh, um, uh, Proof of Heaven, and also the book by Anita Murjani, um, Dying to Be Me. I can remember reading those two books, and I was so I felt so connected. I had to cry my heart out as I was reading these people's experiences. And I think there's a very big clue because it it strengthens the heart energy when you connect to that parallel reality that's always there, and and you also get an anchor point in that. And I think you also it also has to do with our uh, when we when we only have our perspective and our perception focused on the world that we experience through the five senses this 
only um, what what the system is trying to do is to keep people locked in the um, decoding of reality, in the perception of reality, in the left hemisphere of the brain. Whereas I think uh, that by having an access point to the spiritual realm by reading near-death experiences and also sort of also making experiences with psychoactive components like magic mushrooms or ayahuasca or also LSD or DMT, that, that is a way of opening up the right hemisphere of the brain. And I think it's very important because, for example, I know myself that in what I'm doing, I'm absolutely protected. And there is sort of like this issue going on right now, you know, with the whole uh, COVID scandemic of people, you know, wanting to stay secure and this just, you know, we, we, we have to stay secure in security and security. Whereas I think that the only place of security, the way I see it, the only place of security that I have is when I'm speaking the truth and I'm acting according to truth. I think that's where you get real security and real protection, when you're really pushing the boundaries and, and, and really pushing yourself also to, to venture out of the comfort zone and keep challenging yourself always because it is always outside of the comfort zone that real growth and real evolution starts to happen. Uh, and for example... I, I, a, a colleague of mine who's one of the organizers of the regular demonstration that we have in Linz, it's not actually a demonstration, it's a gathering of the human family. I feel so amazing always when I get there. It's every Friday they have a meeting place for every human being who feels like something is wrong in this world and they can come there and it's a, a beautiful exchange from heart to heart and there's like uh, after 22 weeks of continuously being there and just being there for people a heart resonance has been built up there and it's it's beautiful to experience and it's not like uh to give a different example like it was in berlin where a lot of people are looking to berlin is like oh look at that it's amazing and like you got the million people or was it 1.5 million that's amazing but you know what's more amazing when you are in linz every week and you see a hundred people that go into heart resonance and I think that's that's a very important thing and one of the organizers from this event he went uh, he he took um, organic um, naturally produced DMT last week and he told me about how he met entities on the other side that told him how we were being protected by them and without me having uh, taken DMT before I already, due to my um, due to my antennas being active and my my uh, my heart-based intelligence being activated and my my natural intelligence in place, I could already feel that protection before. I didn't necessarily need proof. I already knew that that was happening, but he told me that he met those beings and they said, "Keep going, guys, and get even more outrageous." You see, this is one of the aspects that I want to finish on: is that when you start to have a reference point, when you start to anchor in both worlds, the spiritual and the material, and your spiritual self which is has comes with a high potency of 
of of energy and of uh, of of dynamics and of uh, of um, a real force to be reckoned with, then you're operating on a different level, and you start to realize the one thing that is a truth is that truth is only radical when you've been radically lied to. And I tell you, I had an experience uh, on Saturday where me and uh, three other people who were also part of the demonstration in Linz, we went into a nightline on the way home because I thought, now nah, we're not taking the taxi, let's take the nightline. And uh, we were so radical to decide to breathe the air that were, that is given to us and not wear a mask because uh, when they want to charge you is an interesting perspective to have when they want to charge you for wearing a mask for not wearing a mask in public transport or whatever they're actually charging you for the air that you breathe that's how far deep down the um, uh, rabbit hole of mind control we've gone already so we escalated the situation the bus driver stopped the bus after one stop and and they said, like, the whole environment, all the people in the bus, they were yelling at us. The bus driver was coming forward and saying, you have to get out. And you know what we said? No, I'm right, and you move, not me. I am in the truth, and you get your police or whatever you want to get. Get the cavalry, get whatever, get the spaceships or whatever you want. I am not leaving. I'm making a stand here. And this is where the – it was a fascinating experience for me, and this is exactly what some of the energies that are really important now in this battle because I saw how when the police turned up, it was four people of us getting out – and um, there was only two, one policewoman and one policeman, who were doing the Gestapo uh, psychological training manual on us. And I just looked at him and I said, I, I read Edward Bernays' propaganda and the engineering of consent. My will is stronger than the environment, a very important hermetic principle in order for self-transformation to happen. Your will has to be stronger than the will of the environment. And you know what happened? Zero. We had from these 20 uh, police officers, 18 of them listening to us, us speaking to other hearts. And I tell you, they were listening and uh, it was it was fascinating. And, and that is only due to the fact, as we talked before and what Claire also alluded to, is losing the fear of death because you have a reference point in the spiritual realm and you can operate also in the material realm and bring that energy in and that's a force that that is very difficult to manipulate steve you aries you uh that's bold and cool that it didn't turn out poorly i'm glad you got you know we're able to speak well into people's lives and be the change kind of thing that's dope Maybe I just to mention or to clarify, Steve, this means that you were four guys and eventually 20 policemen were turning up for you. Is that correct? Exactly. We were four people in total. And uh, and we just said, yeah, go and escalate. I'm not going to leave this place. And 20 policemen showed up and nothing happened. Zero. And the only thing that happened was that we informed 18 other policemen that were listening to us. And we looked, I looked into those people's eyes and I said, this is the world you're creating for your children. Your children have to live in that world. This is not what it was a half a year ago. What has changed? 
you have to ask questions and they they got it I, I just knew they got it and I knew that we purposefully we, we created this situation not for confrontation or any violence but we needed to show that to the police I think that was the underlying thing and also for us to learn because this is all about the masculine energy which is also one of the hermetic principles is the principle of gender and having both energies the masculine and the feminine active in our being and that was a huge learning lesson for me like I never pushed the envelope as far as I did there and it was just absolutely fascinating the sort of confidence I gained from that Reminds me a little of uh, Bilbo Baggins, where it's like, you know, in The Hobbit or whatever, it's like he was happy, content, and then he got pushed by Gandalf to join and be a burglar and all this stuff. And when he comes back, he's a new person. Um, so it's an initiation, which kind of harkens back to uh, both of the cards, obviously, the Wheel of Fortune, where it's like sometimes you're at home chilling out and doing dishes, and sometimes you're in a dragon's den. Um, but the fusion of magic that Rafa was talking about, it's like it takes what you kind of were experiencing was very uh, magical in a weird way, in a politically charged way, but like still magic nonetheless. Very cool. And just what I want to get at with this thing is imagine a few more individuals being so radical as to dare to breathe air and not be incredibly afraid of each other. How quickly the entire district or even state police force will be bound and how quickly, even including any military, it would have to capitulate. Absolutely, that's the force that I'm that I'm getting to, and you crystallize it beautifully there, because when you when you come from the point when you have the and there we are again, you know, with the yin and the yang, the Tao. When you have that imbalance and you don't look for an enemy outside of you, and you realize you can, it's basically you see through the system, the matrix system, as a psychological operation on everyone's mind, not only your mind. Then you don't attack the police, but the only way of attack that you've got is with the sword of truth. And uh, that's what happened there. And that is the force that can bring down the control system. I experienced it firsthand and it was absolutely profound. And that was after the most amazing demonstration I've ever been to. And you've all, you, you were also there, Raphael. And we saw the guy at the end um, yelling out in the most beautiful way uh, a very important work from Friedrich Schiller, uh, and it was it, it was a moment to cherish, and I think the energy built up so much. The roar of freedom went through Vienna on Saturday, the twenty sixth of uh, of uh, September. It was an incredibly successful event that happened there, and I think it was it was no accident that that happened a few hours afterward, because that sent. Th- this is the way transformation and uh, and the new world is birthing, is exactly through that energy. You know the the when you have it back the masculine and the feminine where the masculine is just you have to stand up for yourself and haltung is important you if you stand upright you know and you don't say when someone tells you to wear a mask you don't say or oh, here's my uh, my certificate you know from the from the doctor no you say i am free from the mask that is a whole different haltung you know a sort of um um interior uh way how you how you show yourself how your body you know body language 
also when you when you are upright and that's the masculine that is only the ma- the masculine doesn't have to attack it just has this uh, rootedness and surety that you are doing the right thing and then the feminine comes in which is empathy and which is in my opinion the uh, actually the hidden intelligence in this world it is actually the 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 strongest form of intelligence there is when you have empathy and you can empathize with people and you look into the eyes of that policeman or policewoman and you know that the matrix is only running in their psychology but they are men they are a woman like you and you empathize with them and that's the force that will change the world fascinating i really do hope that you continue to be um as productive with your activism without uh unintended or uh, like negative consequences that's dope it's, it's funny to as an american these days i feel like a lot of americans i mean there's a lot of you know weird protests and stuff but i feel like uh other places it seems like vienna um maybe claire could speak up on the uk or whatever um, or england i guess it's not the uk as much anymore um but it seems like the the spearhead for this like the zeitgeist of uh revolution isn't so much here anymore like america is a revolutionary country and i think it's been placated into like it's been between beer and football and divided politics and just entertainment and kind of numbing out and and, and selfishness in a sense we've kind of forfeited our cutting edge for freedom and I'm not like a, like an insanely revolutionary person. I, I kind of want to just be chill and do my thing, like more libertarian than not. Um, but it's it's getting to a point it seems where, uh, uh, much like in the Matrix, where Morpheus is like, "Yo, there's people that are connected to this system, and they'll die for it. They'll defend it. They don't see it like that way." Like a lot of people, it's an interesting time. Obviously, like a lot of people have a knee jerk reaction to some of these more uh, fascist slash corporate, uh, you know, policies being implemented. Um, and obviously depending on presuppositions, I mean, if these things were based on some more accurate things, um, I think it would be a little more understandable, but because of the whole nature of disinformation and Fauci having even been with AIDS kind of situation back in the eighties now and on this, uh, there's a lot of kind of suspect stuff. Uh, Claire, I'm kind of curious as to, um, I mean, we don't have to keep going into your biography, but like, how did you end up linking up going from like kind of a UN situation on one side of the, maybe the politic uh, line into something where it's like uh, against the man in a way. Even more politics now, I'd say, but Claire, please go ahead. What do you mean in terms of um, going against the man, you said? Well, uh, just based off of what little I heard um, from Ural's uh, recent YouTube interview that Raphael sent me, I forget what that was on. Um, it seems like you're uh, right. It seems like you guys are coming from a position that's uh, contrarian to like generally like institutional, you know, globalist positions or whatever. And the UN tends to kind of have a vibe from. I mean, I'm not saying it's totally bad or totally good, um, but it seems to be kind of, I don't know, like a. a it has a certain vibe about it that I don't really get from what you were saying or what uh, Steve is kind of coming from. It seems like you guys are almost like um, counteroperatives to that kind of scene, if that makes sense. Um, but may, yeah, clarify any way you want. Um, and I'm not trying to put you in a position. I mean, if you're still very much about like, you know, government working, like I'm not an anarchist, for example, um, about like burning everything down and like starting from scratch. But at the same time, it's like clearly there's 
a lot of rewiring uh, and maybe um, <laughs> elections, I would say, but I don't even know if that works anymore. Um, a lot of a kind of a shifting that needs to occur um, just in the mechanisms of um, democracy, government, uh, human rights, etc. Hmm. Well, in my case, I mean, when you're working for the UN, um, I, I mean, it's it's a very dysfunctional organization. Um, it would take a, a long time to explain that, you know, but um, on the one hand, I really liked working there because it's an international environment. And so I felt very at home because I'm international myself. I'm bicultural um, to start with. My mother was Irish and my father was English. Um, so, and my university degree was in French, so it was a very, and I've lived in six different countries, so, you know, it felt like my natural habitat, so, you know, from one point of view, I, I really enjoyed it, and when you're working there, you don't, you don't understand the role that the UN plays in the world, um, but what happened in my case was that, uh, they installed these public access points and exposed the entire 4,000 staff at the Vienna International Center to very high levels of electromagnetic radiation. And because I knew that this was extremely dangerous, I tried to bring this up. Um, I was a staff representative, so I tried to bring this up with the staff association. And, uh, you know, I tried to draw everybody's attention to it, but nobody listened because nobody knew what I was talking about. And so um, I was sick because they'd installed these things. And um, I decided to take early retirement to get out of there. And then about about 14 months later, the Secretary General came for, and had a meeting with staff. So I went to that meeting and I told him about how dangerous these things were. And I told him about the dangers of 5G. And so it's been a, a gradual process for me, um, waking up to the real situation in the world. I mean, I, you know, over the years, I, I've done a lot of research, but I hadn't pulled the whole picture together until now, really. Um, so what I saw was that I brought this up with the Secretary General, and I didn't know at the time that actually he's a physicist and an electrical engineer. So he should have known exactly what I was talking about. But it's only over time that I've realized that in fact, he must have been appointed to oversee the introduction of 5G because of the nature of his background. And it turns out I've later learned that he is a member of the Club of Madrid, which is a sister organization to the Club of Rome who are the depopulationists. So it's obvious that he was put in that position for that purpose. And even after I spoke to him about the dangers of 5G, two months later, he appointed a high-level panel on digital cooperation, which was stuffed with industry insiders and uh, people who were pro-5G. And it was chaired, of course, by Melinda Gates. Yeah, so this shows you what's going on. And he also... Just to say, Claire, um, I mean, really, you just can't make this up, can you? <laughs> you can't make it up. No, absolutely. And um, and then he uh, published a paper on, I forget what it was called, but it was basically um, pushing 5G through every single UN program. 
And I looked through this document and there was zero mention of the risks to health. I mean, the only mention of health was in terms of, uh, you know, this idea of uh, remote uh, health services, if you like, uh, 5G facilitating that. But in terms of the risk to health, I mean, there was not a single mention. Um, So, and of course, this high-level panel on digital cooperation, the whole point about that is that this panel would then have direct access to all the member states of the UN to push the 5G agenda in all of those countries and make sure that 5G is rolled out uniformly uh, right across the world, yeah? obviously to you know, negotiate and uh, put pressure on those countries to accept it. Yeah? So um, moving on, um, after that, I was invited by Professor Rainer Nyberg, who produced the 5G EU appeal, to uh, to help out with a new appeal because the previous 5G appeal had never mentioned space. They asked me to if I could help with this new appeal. Well, another synchronicity is that for years, when I was working as an editor for the UN. In Vienna, we have the Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, and uh, they have two subcommittees, a science subcommittee and a legal subcommittee. And um, and so I edited all those documents for years. So actually, I know a fair bit about space and space law and sort of the situation regarding space. So uh, as an editor, um, I was you know, quite an ideal person then to to participate in this new appeal. And the appeal was really, really successful. This was called the International Appeal on um, the International Appeal to Stop 5G on Earth and in Space. And it was immensely successful. Steve translated it into German. And we reached, we know that we reached tens of millions of people with this appeal. And it was so successful that, of course, it was hijacked. And to cut a long story short, basically, the people behind the hijack um, was the Club of Rome. And um, ultimately, it leads to the Club of Rome. And it was only really then that I had to look at who was hijacking the appeal. And then that led me to the Club of Rome and depopulation, eugenics, and the whole thing unraveled from there. And so, you know, that led me to discovering that the UN is, is a Rockefeller organization and the true role of the UN in the world. And of course, as time has gone on now and this pandemic has been rolled out, now you see that the United Nations is actually behind this whole agenda. Um, <laughs> It's the prime organization. I mean, you know, the World Health Organization obviously is part of the United Nations. And uh, the machinations that have gone on, because the director of the World Health Organization is um, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, and he is a former terrorist. <laughs> He was uh, he was a member of the Tigray um, Liberation Front in Ethiopia, and he is accused. Though they have several ethnic groups in in Ethiopia, one of them is the Amhara, which is actually the dominant ethnic group. 
but he is an Eritrean and he is accused by the Amhara ethnic group of actually uh, presiding over a genocide. Um, they say that um, in a period of 10 years, through sterilization programs and uh, other means, uh, the population of the Amhara group was reduced by 2.6 million, while the other ethnic group's populations actually rose during that period. Um, and when he was appointed, the people behind him were, of course, Bill Gates, who provides most of the funding for the World Health Organization, and the Chinese government. And this is how he was put there. So you begin to see that not only was the Secretary General of the United Nations appointed to oversee 5G, but obviously Gebreyesus, having already presided over a genocide in his own country, allegedly, um, and having uh, suppressed information about three cholera outbreaks, you begin to see why he was appointed to be the director of um, the WHO. So it's not really a pretty picture, is it? Well, much in the same way that you and Steve synchronistically meet up, I imagine equal opposite side of the aisle is having synchronistic meetups where like, oh, you're doing, you're killing people and doing weird shit, and that's kind of what we're into. So, hey, join our crew. Yeah, this is this is exactly how how this web operates, and when <clears throat> when the uh, international appeal to stop five G on Earth and in space was hijacked, I wasn't surprised because it really was that successful. I can I can remember that. Uh, well, first of all, I was the first uh, I was the first one to do a presentation officially in Austria on five G. And before that, there was only um, the issue of the smart meters, you know, and you know people were just focusing on on on, on the on particular issues, you know. Okay, we've got this smart meter here, and the smart meter does this, this, and this, and this, and okay, fine. So the the in the international appeal, I, I can remember, and it was the same also with my presentations. I I did the first presentation in Austria, and there was no one knew anything about 5g my first one was in on the 10th of april 2019 and there was no mention of 5g only in the, in the mainstream media that we've got the first auctioning of the frequencies and th th there was there was no movement going on and then inside a few months it was popping up everywhere everywhere all across austria at one point i think that was like uh eight months afterwards even only in one region where I originally come from, in Oberösterreich, Upper Austria, we had like 20 initiatives, you know, where people were organizing um, uh, like presentations, you know, and I would go into a presentation in Gmunden, for example, and the whole place would be packed full of people listening, you know, and I would own, I would, there would be like four speakers and you would have a Baubiologe, for example, you would have a doctor there and uh, an engineer and then I would come along and I would only have like 20 minutes to speak and I would dive right into it, you know, it's UN Agenda 2030, this, 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 you know, and like connecting the dots in the 20 minutes that, that I had time and it's what what it has done 
is uh, because I always I never focus on one particular issue. I try and have the big picture to give people something that is completely different to what they would hear normally. Because I'm I'm more like I, I have I, I studied mathematics, which is more on the left hemisphere of the brain with analysis and you know and structuralism and you know being clean on your analysis, you know, and showing evidence and all that. But um, I have that aspect, but I also I delve deep into the right hemisphere of the brain, where it's uh, like, what's really behind this? Okay, tell, let me tell you what the big picture is. And uh, so on that side, with the presentations, it popped up everywhere. It was incredibly successful. The sort of um, the the dynamics that we that we tapped into, and the the sort of. Um, the information was getting out there before COVID happened. Like before COVID happened, I was invited to speak in Purkersdorf in front of more than a thousand people. That's the level where we already had gotten to the the local council in Purkersdorf, which already had activated 5G, organized a um, a, a whole day of information on 5G, and just as that was scheduled. Two days before that, we had COVID and the lockdown. So, I mean, these things I know, I know, one hundred percent for sure. I would, I would uh, give everything to, to um, support that claim. And there is a lot of evidence. These two things they go hand in hand, and they needed basically an excuse to roll out this digital. Uh, matrix implementation agenda because this is a 5G matrix that we're talking about. But coming back to what Claire was saying, like I uh, and the international appeal to stop 5G on Earth and in space, I did the German translation and I tell you, I I just did it like that, you know, I was really humbled uh, getting to know Claire and I thought like, oh, this is great, you know, I can do this translation, fantastic, you know, let's, let's, let's go for it. And it popped up absolutely everywhere. It was everywhere. I mean, Claire can tell you a few details that I um, I don't memorize, but it was like in the main newspaper in, in France also, you know, trying to discredit it. Like we literally, it's a conservative estimate. We reached m- millions of millions, like at least 10 million people were, were reached with that. It's an incredible story. And uh, there's a very important aspect in this, which I want to get to. And uh, it has to do with this hijack, you see, because this is something that's not often spoken about in the truth community, and that deals with the aspect of controlled opposition and trying to when you when you are um, when you're really successful and you know and the awareness is raised, well, you you'll have an organization hijack it, and there's no um, there's no uh, by chance or coincidence that it was exactly the club of rome because these are called the club of rome is uh what is called um and there's there's six of them um which uh, they are called so-called cusp organizations they're called cusp organizations because that's where the the hidden powers from where this agenda is being dictated from from uh, uh like beyond the secret society networks that exist uh, and into the the realm of Satanism and uh, and that really dark occult stuff, you know, that's where it originates. That's sort of like a spider's web of how this coordinated agenda 
filters through into the public arena and we can we can see that it's an agenda because look at what happened with the world with covid like it was just a snap and the half of the world you know got locked down at least half of the world so and it ticks every single box of this agenda and whether and it comes from the hidden you know and these people that are dictating this agenda they're they're absolute criminals and it comes into the into the realm of the scene through what is called cusp organizations and the club of rome um which a sub organization of the club of rome is the club of budapest they hijacked the international appeal to um not have the success continue and there's other organizations that are on the same level of these cups cusp organizations who are all organized under the round table group that was founded by uh by uh, Cecil Rhodes who was a Rothschild frontman at the beginning of the 20th century and these cusp organizations uh are six of them with the club of rome uh, the trilateral commission bilderberg group council on foreign relations and uh the united nations also and these uh through those institutions and they're internationally organized through these institution institutions these agendas are implemented which we can see but it also this the control mechanism of this matrix control system goes far deeper and far deeper than most people can acknowledge i'll give you an example as i said these cusp organizations of the club of rome bilderberg group etc is organized around the round table group now what we have in linz at the demonstration where i speak regularly this is a grassroots movement the people there are just amazing and we have the most amazing discussions and you can basically say anything that you want there is freedom of speech and it's brilliant and people look to berlin and they say look what berlin did it's amazing more than a million people now you the the main organization that is organizing the demonstrations in berlin is called querdenken 711 and when you look at the founder of querdenken his name is michael balweg and it just so turns out that Michael Balweg, who founded this movement and is absolutely front and center uh, of influence of this movement, he wasn't only a member of the Round Table Germany, but the president, the actual president of the Round Table, which, when you can understand, the structure of interlocking pyramids that are that, from where this agenda for total control comes from this guy was an act, actual president and what what i want to get to is that what these organizations are intended to and why they want to control every single angle including what is uh, seen as opposition to your agenda like people would say well the people in berlin you know it was amazing what they're doing you know and they're they're on the same page as us no you don't see what's going on because they are what what controlled opposition is all about is the control of information it's called information management which is one of the least known about 
mind control operations around so you want to control the narrative you don't want people to get the big picture and they want you focusing on covid for example and all the masks and stuff whilst in the background what's really what because i always ask the question what is being um where's the attention being taken away from and whilst people are fighting about the mask and all these things about covid they're destroying the food supply chain they are uh taken over completely like can you imagine that it is a reality that with covid just like that with the lockdowns you actually had a coup d'etat in half of the world and in western democracies especially towards technocracy you had a technocratic takeover and now i ask you guys uh, rafael and jim have you ever heard anyone mention that we've had a coup d'etat in Western countries where we are now being run under what is termed technocracy, which we already have in China. Of course, it had not been mentioned anywhere officially. However, as me personally, I'm quite aware even of the old technocratic alliance and especially the kind of, you know, uh, choke point aspect of reliance on experts. And it's precisely what we have. And in addition to that, of course, as you laid out, this idea of scientism and just uh, not even questioning or not even applying the scientific method itself properly, you know. And of course, then we are only in the realm of propaganda and, as you said, information management. Jim, you may kindly reply and then I'd say uh, let's do a music break. And also, Claire, of course, if you wish. What kind of reminds me of um, how I felt when the whole Snowden situation popped um back a few years ago where it was like look there's a lot more to the picture that meets the eye it's technologically linked up and um i mean that was about surveillance of you know citizens essentially and our our technology not being you know what we think it is kind of a trojan horse into our lives we give away our sovereignty through it and because it's entertaining or connects us to other people or whatever um and then it just works that way um there's a few things that kind of come to mind uh, while we were talking about uh, the coup d'etat. It's like uh, this kind of shit happened in Star Wars, which is actually a, the Orion card, the Fusion of Magic Orion story, according to um, some people, is like basically where Star Wars comes from in a sense. Um, and in the Clone Wars, I mean, this gets into the weird shit. And I kind of wanted to ask about this, like how far back do these agendas go? It seems many agendas, like there's many different fish in a pond um, and some roll with each other and others don't but they might like you know be allied at a time and then turn on each other whatever it's like the onions with an onion kind of approach but um the whole point is the star wars reference here is like there was a time when um basically the whole palpatine situation right they used government to kind of flip on itself through very kind of weird trivial means like oh there's a blockade on naboo which is the whole point of the first episode one and it's like, okay, this is political. Quarantine. Kind of, yeah, quarantining it and a uh, whole people group down there. Um, and then that gets into like clone armies and basically agendas within agendas that people don't know about. Um, ultimately getting to like Order 66, which is when they're like, all right, let's kill all the Jedi now. We're going to do the full takeover. Um, and that's when the whole, you know, clone army kills all the Jedi and only Yoda gets away and, um, uh what's his face oh 
Obi-Wan. That's why they're on Tatooine and Dagobah, respectively, when you get to the 1970s episode four. I just binged Star Wars recently, so this is why it's still kind of on my mind. Um, but it seems fiction tells us this st- stuff all the time, so I'm not terribly surprised. It kind of makes me feel disempowered. On the one hand, it's very exciting and interesting and like intrigue and kind of whatever, but at the same time, it makes me feel like uh much more i don't know it, it seems like um you guys are much more galvanized to action which is beautiful and good and for me i just start feeling like a deer in the headlights and i start kind of spinning out um so i kind of want to get into like a few things i guess um but maybe after a, a music break is that what you want to do Raphael? yeah first i'd let uh, claire reply briefly if you wish uh, and then you know we'll flip the tables on what you just mentioned i guess uh, well, I suppose what we're talking about is predictive programming, isn't it? And um, and this goes back to the beginning of our conversation um, where, you know, I said that we're divine creative beings. And uh, what's quite clear from quantum physics is that uh, we create the reality. Now, I used to think that these films were there to influence us to interpret events in the way that they wanted But actually, more recently, um, I've come to the conclusion that actually they're there because we create those events. That's what's going on. And um, so it's a long time since I watched the Star Wars films because my son is is sort of middle-aged at this stage. (laughs) And um, so the last time I watched the Star Wars films was a lot of decades ago. (laughs) <laughs> um, a long so time I, ago in a galaxy far away yeah, but um, yeah you're absolutely right you know and and this is about the elimination of the Jedi isn't it because this actually this whole thing and I've only seen this referred to in one place or a couple of places let's say what we're actually looking at here is the theft of our consciousness I, I believe that's the ultimate aim. Um, now, I translated a document just a few weeks ago, which was a report written by uh, a group of French Army Reserve officers, and they refer to this, um, which is really quite fascinating. And uh, the other thing is that uh, in 2012, um, it was revealed, there was a video on YouTube which revealed that uh I can't remember which organization it was, but an American organization, was it the CIA? I can't remember. Um, they were working on a vaccine to eliminate spirituality, which is quite an interesting concept, isn't it? And this was, you know, it was a real sort of presentation video where this man was saying, well, this is the way we can eliminate terrorism. Um, so sort of, you know, if you believe in Muslim fundamentalist terrorists, um the the premise was that you could stop the terrorism by eliminating the natural human inclination towards spirituality so ultimately i think that's what this is all about i think that or i suspect and i don't uh you know one doesn't really have evidence this but it's sort of pointing that way that I think that this whole Neuralink thing and connecting up the human mind to the internet is actually um, harnessing 
human creative capacity and our consciousness um, for their internet and then getting rid of the humans. You know, I think that what they want to do is up upload our consciousness to the internet. Now, you know, whether that is actually feasible or not, I have no idea, but I think that that's what they want to do. Definitely a lot of rabbit holes will be going down um, uh, on the other side of this music break. So I guess, Raphael, spin it. I think this is a song you've picked, or did it, is it a song I picked? I forget. Uh, I picked it. It's one of her favorites. And what I'd just like to say, Claire, I believe I'm aware of this particular video, of course, but this should be noted as with anything, even if it may be very true, there is always some fact checking or someone somewhere who will claim it's uh, false. However, I just want to say in this case, even if this were untrue, still just the idea of having all kinds of pollutants in your food, in your air, and in your body and so on, and un understanding anything about energetics would yield a very similar result as in, you know, a hindrance and an obstacle to one's own connection with even just, you know, a peaceful state of mind, to put it as simple as possible, which again has all to do with uh, whether or not it is easy to keep an individual or a population in fear, their own energy level and their own outlook. So with that, I'll spin the track. This is Symbolico, the ongoing game, and we'll be back in about seven minutes. Welcome back to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 163 with Claire Edwards and Steve Wybro. We've been talking about our innate ability to create after some, I think, very amazing examples you both gave in terms of uh, potential dysfunctionality we may observe within this world. Um, and so as to not feel disempowered, always realizing this uh, innate ability to create that we have and that actually even any idea of a control stru structure, as you pointed out, is utterly dependent on our consent, agreement and uh, participation, even in order to quote unquote control or achieve anything. And you had been talking about movies and one aspect that I one perspective that I think is also interesting, in this case shared by Bashar, of course I would agree with you, is that it's kind of displayed not because that's what's going to happen, but because to kind of soften everyone's belief systems as to that this could occur, because if something was potentially too strange, individuals may just outright reject it. Just as, for example, the idea of a pandemic and, you know, all these zombie movies has been, you know, pretty much hammered into everyone the last 10, 20 years. However, this one perspective then could also be seen positive that one may see those movies and then realize that they are seeing them as to receive an offering of a potential future reality, which in truth, you know, let's say from a potential control structure, it actually is like an offer of contract. Like, do you agree with this reality? And then actually to consciously decide, all right, maybe it's a nice movie, but it's definitely not something I wish to experience uh, in this life within this parallel earth reality. What do you think? Yeah, that's fantastic. If, um, if, if I may jump in, um, this is exactly what it's about. It's always about getting your agreement and getting your consent. Consent and the forming of consensus is an essential concept to grasp. And I'm always blown away. I was 
blown away like three weeks ago, I think, when I realized, having read uh, Edward Bernays' fundamentally important book called Propaganda, that he wrote another book also, which was very appropriately called The Engineering of Consent. And basically, to to put a long story short, uh, the control structure, no matter how intricately linked it is, and it can be sometimes a little bit overwhelming um, and possibly also disempowering to hear how intricately linked these organizations are and how big uh, this all is. But the underlying point is they care a lot about what we think and that's why they form consensus, they uh, form ways of thinking and that's why they form norms and a normal and the normal we had before, that's the reason why I totally disagree with uh, the Querdenken Bewegung, uh, because they want to get back to something they call democracy. And you, when you listen to Michael Balwig and other people, they talk a lot about dem- we're Democrats, you know, and we stand for democratic values. Well, let me just, because um, truth is self-evident, and I think I'm not wrong in suggesting that the normality we had before put us into the new normality that we have now, didn't it? And um, just to finish on the aspect of consent and the control structure wanting our consensus, I've come to realization just the last three days because I had an interview with a dear friend of mine living in Berlin and she's also a freedom fighter and she's not agreeing with how the movement is going in Germany although it may seem that it's big and all that but she said she doesn't agree and her disagreement comes uh, from a lot of points but including that on the 10th of October they they have scheduled another uh, protest, another uh, demonstration in Berlin, and it's a demonstration of silence. How interesting is that? And on top of that, this is going on in Germany, and here in Austria, we also have a scheduled demonstration, a sort of like a, 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 a party going on here, also organized, um, with the influence of Querdenken, I think there's other uh, organizations involved also. And they have something planned for the 31st of October called Halloween. And what they have planned here, and that's why I look very closely, for people, uh, and it actually says on the flyer, masks for freedom. Can you imagine? I mean, it's incredible, but it makes a whole lot of sense when you have this occult background and this information you can uh, cross-correlate with this and why this is. So in Germany, we have a silent demonstration. In Vienna, we have masks for freedom. And what this symbolizes, what's underlying both of them, is to give your consent, even if you are in opposition to what's happening, to give your consent even through silence, translation is tacit agreement. You're giving your tacit agreement to an agenda you don't really understand um, in its detail. And in Vienna, with the mask, it, it has the same effect. I'm putting on the mask for freedom. 
and it's actually uh, I've realized and I would strongly suggest an occult ritual to initiate also the ones that are on the opposition side. I know it's a big big ask and a big statement to say um, to initiate uh, also the ones in the opposition into the stark occult ritual that we're having which COVID for me is. It isn't a dark occult initiation ritual into the new world order. It's a death ritual for sure. Exactly. It's a death ritual and that's what I found really interesting and uh, you know it's all encompassing the whole thing but they care a lot about how how we view reality and as you beautifully also said the offering of uh, of potential future realities and I think uh, I, I would suggest you know that we can also get into the future reality that was depicted in the uh, front cover of the Economist magazine where me and Claire uh, participated in a show on Age of Truth and give you a little bit more background information uh, that we've got on that which is also an offering of a put a future potential reality scenario uh, from where we can always do the one uh, Jedi mind trick to um, sort of phase out from that reality creation through withdrawing our consensus to any of these potential realities and ignite and activate our naturally inborn intelligence to create because we are the energy source of this system or any system it's all coming from us so we're in the ultimate seat of power and isn't that great to know i just want to say really quick uh rafael that's one of my favorite songs you've ever put on this podcast it's such a cool alan watts sample thing and i think it kind of gets to i don't know if you guys want to start with chicken or egg because i want to get at some point to like worldviews and onion like i mean if it's all a game and dynamics are necessary not why struggle but it's like do we just choose sides and then play a game um in a sense one could argue with the whole star wars analogy like the jedi had become like lackadaisical and kind of self-important and it was kind of a dead uh system in a sense and that's why the sith kind of came up and it proposed itself as a challenge with its own means and you know i guess beliefs or whatever um which caused a, a you know balancing of the force a resurgence of it all this stuff in some meta kind of full-on monistic viewpoint it's like it's all good i guess but i'm kind of wondering so that's like on the one hand and then on the other hand is like i don't it seems like there's been generations of people through various means whether it's kellogg and irradiating cereal or uh hollywood putting um programming in our situations where we you know manifest 9-11 possibly uh, there's just a lot of ins and outs i don't know which which one do you guys want to start with first first because one kind of lends itself towards more hope and then one more is like what is your role in the revolution kind of thing but that is also within the game of that alan watson kind of uh sample so which would you guys prefer which angle of approach would you prefer we could always end on the all is one shit because um, I'm I'm curious how you guys like you know sleep well at night and aren't like worried and scared and stuff because I think you do have a tethering to some kind of um, spiritual reality which I think gets beyond the situatedness but at the same time um, the situation matters while you're in it in a sense holding on loosely while participating well that kind of stuff uh, Rafael were you gonna say something no I'm just uh, Claire um. Yes, I do see it as a game. I I think life is a huge adventure, and um, 
you know, I don't, I sleep extremely well. Um, you know, I, I, I seem to suffer from this um, relentless positivity. <laughs> Because I keep hearing, as as this has gone on, I mean, obviously I've been involved in this for over two years now, and I keep hearing worse things. I, I hear worse things every single day. But I'm only taken aback very briefly, and then I just bounce back every time because I've always been convinced that we have to win, um, that we will win, that it's inevitable that we will win. Um, I don't know that I can justify that, but uh, it's just a very strong feeling that I have always had. And, and I actually believe that we've been winning this since since the beginning, which for me was a couple of years ago. Um, we've won the information war. I mean, we have no access to mainstream media. You never hear a whisper on the mainstream media about the dangers of 5G. And yet we managed to warn tens of millions of people. Um, I think with this COVID thing, um, we've also managed to, to get through. And I think more and more people can see that this is a scam, that, that this doesn't add up. And more and more people are asking questions. So gradually we're shifting. Now, unfortunately, um, I think that all of this is pushing us into self-transformation. I mean, that's the good aspect. But uh, I think that things have to get worse and worse and worse to force us into that, that personal transformation because all of the answers are to be found inside ourselves. You know, looking out into the world isn't going to get us anywhere. Um so it seems to me that everything that they do backfires on them because actually it just makes us more and more aware. So, yeah, I'm just um, positive about the whole thing, even though everything seems stacked against us. I mean, they have all the money, they have the financial system, they control all the institutions. Everything is controlled opposition. Everything is infiltrated. It looks absolutely overwhelming. And it looks, in a sense, inevitable that, that they should win. But I don't believe that. I think that things don't happen at the material level. I think they happen at the frequency level. And at the frequency level, we hold all the cards. It's just that a lot of people don't realize that yet. Um, so yeah, I don't think I can justify my positivity, but it's just there and it's overwhelming. Yeah, if I if I may jump in there, uh, because you touched upon uh, upon some very important things, and the the as you said, you know, I, and it also happens with me. I'm taken aback briefly by by some things, but then through years of self-reflection and I've already been through hell so I can't get back to hell sort of like this thing because <laughs> I, I, I come from a place where I, I suffered from depression for like 10 years 
and it wasn't it wasn't a continuous ride but sort of like half a year sort of uh, autumn winter time i would be depressed and like i'd come back you know every springtime you know as i'm areas you know and around about the time of the beginning of spring you know the element of fire comes in and that's oh that's where i'm at home and uh summertime would also be fine and then things would go downhill so i've already been in hell so uh i've been there and I don't think there's anything worse than that. Um, I mean, possibly, uh, I don't know, but I don't think I'm going to create it. And what makes me um, very um, positive in all of this is, and I said this, at I think, two weeks ago in Vienna at one of my talks, and it just so dropped in, and I said, I just remember that I didn't come here to do this. And it's such a powerful statement. I remember I didn't come here to wear a mask. I remember I didn't come here to be forcefully vaccinated. I know I didn't come here to do all this bullshit right from the beginning. And that's where I get my biggest confidence from. I I remember, and remembrance is a very important aspect. That's why I um, I yelled out in Linz also two weeks ago. <laughs> and sometimes you know, I get very passionate and I just uh, yelled out there three times in a row. I said, "People, can you can you still remember when we were human beings? Dear human family, can you still remember when we were human beings?" And I said it again, and it was it was really powerful. You know, if we can remember why we came here, then we would remember that we didn't sign up for any of this bullshit. And it's. Uh, you know, as Albert Einstein said, reality is an illusion, albeit a persistent one. <laughs> so, yeah, that's there's a, a wisdom is is very important, and you know, you might fall back uh, sometimes, and that's normal. You see, that's part of shadow integration work. When we get into feelings of discomfort or disillusionment, confusion or disempowerment, it's all part of the yin and the yang. You see, that can't always just be the sun shining, but it's it's an opportunity always to to integrate those emotions. And I think that's uh, again the inner work where every where all the answers come from. And I think that's the main source of energy that we have is inside of us through the emotions and the integration of emotions we reconnect back with the life force energy that is all around us and there's different um, colors to that there's uh, the emotions of anger which when you flip it onto the light side anger is a powerful um, confidence boost and a powerful sort of ignition for action you see when you can channel it in that way and not and not project it outward uh, to other people or sadness can be sort of like a a gateway to more empathy to a feeling of life you know it's we came here to experience all these feelings uh, life itself the most precious thing that we have our life is a feeling and reconnecting with all different colors of the frequency spectrum of feelings, I think, is also very important. That there's not only joy and love and all the time, but there's other things that we can experience. And we're taken aback briefly sometimes, but then we come back to a default state of being, which is empowered. 
and uh, sort of like the little, the inner child in ourselves, you know, what's going to happen next, you know, life's an adventure, you know, every day I get up and it's like, what's going to happen today in this madhouse? Um, but we, where do we return back, actually? We return back into the infinite forever. We exist and uh, probably all, um, most of us here, uh, all of us can um, relate to having experienced uh, through, and I had this with psychoactive compounds, you know, with magic mushrooms and all that, that you, you get a feeling for time being forever and that you can tap into forever. And time is also a Saturnian concept with Cronus linked to, to, to Cronus, the, the god of Saturn in the Roman times, for example. And that's one of the most controlling mechanisms of our time is time itself and being lost in time and wanting to go back into the past, which would be more the conservative standpoint, or looking into the future for this um, communist uh, sort of like leftist um, utopia, which is actually a dystopia. So both of these spectrums of the the politics um, is also lost in time, but we can always return back into forever and clarity is also really important that they might control all the materialistic realms and control so many things. But when we understand that we are the source of energy for everything in existence, then that gives us a lot of power and recognizing them when when we don't feel well, I always uh, have a saying where I say, breakdown is breakthrough. Breakdown is breakthrough. And I just experienced this like uh, a week ago. Uh, I lost all my things. Like I, I had like a few, a couple of beers. I had like four beers during the entire evening. It was just a normal Sunday night out. And I lost everything. I lost my keys, my wallet, uh, and I lo- like this guy who, who stole my wallet actually. Um, he took like 150 euro, 15 euros, uh, before I, um, I got a new card, you know, and, uh, cancelled that. Uh, and I lost everything, my phone also, and I felt great after my anger that I felt. I felt liberated. Absolutely fantastic because I, I came to a point where I relaxed into that it is what it is and I felt much more liberated than I did before I lost it and I actually still had those objects. So that was also an interesting learning experience that I wanted to share with you. And yeah, that's what I leave it at for now. So along those lines, and maybe we could start going into the more nefarious, like how do we deal with generational malevolence or whatever – um, you said you came to some equanimable place, you know, like some place of peace, basically, with the situation because it is what it is. How do you guys balance being active and proactive, and um, kind of being lights in the darkness, so to speak, um, while also maintaining a position of kind of like everything's where it needs to be? It seems, I mean, the the thing that comes to my mind, and I'm raised Judeo Christian or whatever, is like the meek and hair of the earth kind of thing, where it's just like there's a lot of people, you know. I mean, not to get religious, and I'm not proselytizing, but it's like, you know, in the story of Jesus or whatever, it's like, um, bro, I've got angels and stuff that could come in here and do all sorts of stuff. I'm giving away the moment because this moment has to occur in this way. But don't think that you've got power, ultimately, Pontius Pilate, whatever. Like, those are machinations of Earth in a 3D kind of 
system and like I guess Saturnian kind of system that has a functional role it seems in the human spirit's development and game in this thing um I mean depending on presuppositions I'm more of a McKenna stone ape theory thing so I have a more Darwinian approach but maybe we were high Atlanteans and we were in a yuga and we've forgotten or you know I know Raphael doesn't think evolution is I can't speak for him but he doesn't agree with me on that as much and I'm not hard on that but the point is how do you guys both Claire and you Steve deal with the paradox of both and where it's like everything is as it should be in some weird way and and yet being in uh vigilance I guess you could say well um I would say it's about trust. Um, this is something I've really had to practice over the last couple of years because there have just been so many extreme challenges. And, uh, you know, I can remember the first one, I, the first major one I had was we published the appeal in September 2018 and it, it went out and it spread. And then nothing seemed to happen or nothing did happen. Um, and in December, uh, my colleague with whom I published the appeal, he ran out of money. Now he is electro hypersensitive, so he has to go and work at the library. And what happened was he was working at the law library and very suddenly everything changed at the law library. They fired the chief librarian. The computers were moved to a room where he couldn't work there anymore. And so there was a huge crisis. And, and I can remember pacing up and down and, and saying, well, you know, how could I have worked on this for all these months? And now it's just come to a full stop and a dead end, yeah? And I was sort of pacing up and down, tearing my hair out. And I just realized, just a moment, <laughs> you're creating this chaos. You're choosing to, to be in panic mode. And with that, I just stopped and I went into joy. <laughs> I realized that it was just my choice. So as time has gone on and all these things have happened, I just always go into trust mode because no matter what happens and how bad it looks, it's going to lead to something else. And so everything is an opportunity and, and that's really the way it's worked. So I do see the whole thing as an adventure and, you know, they make their moves, you make your moves and the whole thing moves forward. So I suppose, you know, it's it's the trust. And also going back to the mediumship, I think one of the or the main thing that I got from the mediumship was to trust my intuition. Because as I said earlier, I regarded myself as quite a rational being until about six years ago, sort of based in logic and rationality. And then with mediumship you're doing something else altogether. And, and I developed my intuition. I learned to trust my intuition. And intuition until that point had been something that one dismisses because in this material pr paradigm, you're not supposed to trust your intuition. You're supposed to look outside and trust the facts. Um, and the scientists, as has already been mentioned, um, 
so yeah it's um it's about trusting yourself and developing that connection with yourself and and the knowing you just it's it's an inner knowing that everything is fine and we do create our reality so it's up to you yourself to interpret what's happening yeah so they want to put us in fear the whole time but whether you go into fear is your own choice you don't have to choose that and another thing that's happened as you realize the enormity of the horror that we're facing and the fact that absolutely everything you've known and ever loved is now threatened all of nature you know all of the relationships you've had you know they're even they've put laws in place even to remove people's children you know the horror the scale of this horror is just uh, incredible um so what it pushes you towards is actually love because as you, as you look around yourself and you realize how much there is to lose you realize the value of all that which you've never fully realized before and all of this pushes you towards joy and love and I, honestly you know I, I suppose this is the source of my positivity that um that this is taking me to a place where i you know i, I just live in joy and love it's um really i should thank them i suppose <laughs> <laughs> we have to well, do that before we get it's, to that it's, stage. That's, that's kind of what I'm getting at, because it seems the magic, I mean, in a weird way, because, I mean, not to keep talking about Star Wars, but it's, I guess, appropriate given the Orion card and, you know, whatever cycles, like good guys winning, bad guys winning, the, the wheel of fate and, you know, whatever turns. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi in the earlier episodes, like episode, like Revenge of the Sith, basically, where Darth Vader becomes Darth Vader, he's like, you were the chosen one. Oh my God, you were supposed to bring balance to the force. You were prophesied. Like we had all these expectations in you. And the irony is he fulfills, spoiler alert, he fulfills balancing the force by, uh, you know, in Return of the Jedi, tossing Palpatine into the fucking reactor or whatever and saving his son. And I, there's, you know, there's there's cycles within cycles. There's so many things going on that uh, much like the Alan Watts sample that uh, or, or song or whatever that was sampling Alan Watts that Raphael played at the break. Um, it's a game where the good guys think they're fucking going to lose. They're on the ropes. And the bad looks like it's going to win. And that causes a catalyst, a metamorphosis in a very particular way, um, whether it's Brahma wanting to imagine more deeply or whether it's a punctuation event of the caterpillar saying, fine, I'll emulsify. Now I'll grow my wings. Like, I don't really know how to quantify it, but it seems like the fractal goes to another layer of itself through conditions that are about change, imbalance, flux. So it's not, you know, like the, you know, in The Who, I mean, a British band has a song like uh, called Won't Get Fooled Again, and it's kind of talking about like revolutions and stuff. And it's like, yeah, let's revolt, let's take, flip over the fucking man, all this stuff. And it's like, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. We tend to put in, you know, institutions that we think are cool at the time, and then they ossify, and then other generations have to revolt against them. It's this kind of dance, it seems, of becoming. Um, and I guess it's it's holding on loosely um, and staying in the tension of both and kind of thinking where it's it's both a dream so we, we don't have to take it too seriously in a sense. And yet, like you were saying, it's happening and it's real and we should be grateful for it and we should 
I guess, and this gets into astrology charts and all sorts of other kind of woo stuff, but I think people's designs will necessarily react to the, um, the, the moves being, you know, the film in front of them, they'll react based off of their archetypes, based off of their expectations, uh, which is, you know, Raphael turned me on to a guy named Bashar or Daryl Anka who channels Bashar and his whole thing's like highest excitement, no expectations. Maybe some people's highest excitement is like global domination. Maybe Bill Gates is living his best life in a weird way, right? And then we have to live our best lives that counterbalance that. And this is kind of a weird thing. Um, I'll be quiet, but I kind of want to just say briefly one last because thing. Oh, yeah, before you're butchering, uh, butchering uh, Bashar quotes, um, <laughs> I'm good at that. Yeah, yeah, no, just to clarify uh, here, it's always about differentiating again, discernment, yeah, between uh, true excitement, which is the energy translation of the your true north coming straight from your higher self, and anything that may actually be anxiety masked as excitement. And as far as I can understand the mindsets of, you know, depopulationists or heavily traumatized individuals and individually even more traumatized, um, <clears throat> I can only assume that many of them are very much acting out of fear. So that's a bit of a different story. But yeah, for sure. So I could see that what you're saying there for sure. So, I mean, if somebody genuinely, you know, has the power and influence of money and stuff to be like, yo, Georgia Guidestones say X, Y, Z, or our fathers a couple hundred years ago started coming up with these ideas and we're the inheritors of this legacy or however they're working this thing. Cause you got to think there's multiple levels with multiple players on, you know, it's like not everybody's just like an evil James Bond villain, but then some people are just trying to make a buck like they're mercenaries. But then some people are like actually probably not inclined to love other people think of themselves as better and other people as kind of like ants to step on or whatever i mean there's a lot of levels um but then the kind of other angle of this uh and we've quoted it a few times Raphael has um manly p hall who is a freemason so take it with a grain of salt uh although very interesting um so don't just write it off because he's a freemason um has this part in a book called secret teachings of the ages uh, which is fascinating audiobook. Check it out on YouTube. I haven't read it, but the audiobook was compelling as fuck and well worth scoping on multiple fronts. Um, but uh, there's this moment where it's talking about um, Raphael. I always forget the title. What's this chapter called? The Kabbalistic Keys of the Creation of Man. Right. And the long story short version of this is like basically Adam, and we'll just say this is allegorical, metaphorical, high magic kind of symbolism, whatever. Um, Adam, which is like man, in a sense, mankind, dies and he sees life as, you know, he has the full big eye view picture. Oh my gosh, I, I see what the game was. Holy tits. And I was being played and the adversary on the other side of the chessboard was Satan or because he's looking at the serpent, right? And he's like, you were my adversary. You were like basically the Illuminati to my freedom fighter or whatever, right? Like you were, you were the counterpart to my game. Um, and I overcame you and screw you and I'm better or it's not haughty like that, but it's like, I, I did it. Huzzah. Like I've accomplished the thing. And then the snakes zap and I'm not a Luciferian for the record, the snake zaps into a, uh, snake zaps into an angel. And it's like, I had a function basically to cause you to, to hit, you know, I was always your adversary. I was always your antithesis in the sense, your nemesis. And in that struggle, you were refined and, and in a sense, like hitting your toe, on a ledge of a staircase, like you had to raise your leg with effort of will and body and coordination and all this kind of stuff to get to the next level in a weird way. And I'm not sure how you guys feel about that. And it doesn't necessarily 
justify everything that's going on. But in some weird way, it starts it, – that's how I – and I might be wrong. I don't want to be not discerning and you know naive. But that's how I start to loosen into it a little more. I'm like, all right, they've chosen their role and I'm choosing my role. And you know we've just got to see how this cookie crumbles and play the game. And we're all walking each other home in a Ram Dass sense on the one meta level, but on the other level, we are very much ingrained or in, 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 like engrossed in a, uh, a, a polarity duel. And it is that magic and fusion coming from the polarity inner exchange. Um, there are some things that we wouldn't have if it wasn't for some terribly weird stuff. I mean, these are presuppositions, obviously. And Raphael is always very quick to be like, it was awesome and we fucked it up. This gets into yugas really quick. And like, you know, um, even stuff like psycho psychological mass programming, like you guys were talking about earlier, where it's like, maybe we're just like hypnotized right now and we haven't, and it's beyond, you know, okay, it's not okay. And whether that's a temporal space time thing, like a yuga in a Hindu thought or, or an, you know, an aeon shifting from like a lead age to a gold age. Um, or if it's literally like psychopaths at the helm who would like think of us as lab rats and we're just extortable kind of copper top batteries matrix style in another way or all these things like i'm kind of rambling i get excited i'm a double gemini sorry but um i just kind of said it quite a bit do you guys have any anything to respond or any I thoughts on that? I, well you basically set the whole thing out i totally agree you see the thing is that I think that they think that this is all material and linear, but it isn't. So they're convinced they're winning in a certain sense, but yeah, like, it's like Obi-Wan. But it, but it like, isn't. You see, down, anything can happen whatever. at any time. Anything, you know, and that's what I've seen so far with, with all the bad news. Then something completely unexpected has happened, you know. So I think the Monty Python thing, you know, always expect the unexpected, and I basically do. <laughs> <laughs> and look on the bright side of life, uh, I think, the uh, life yeah. of Brian, yeah. You know, because I, I would look, I mean, you talk about Star Wars, I'd talk about Star Trek, because um, Gene Roddenberry was living with somebody who was channeling, you yeah? So I did not know that. Yeah, and um, so Star Trek is also extremely interesting, you know, and uh, Star Trek talked about the Prime Directive. And it would seem, according to what I've researched, that the prime directive is actually how the universe works. So this is why they need our consent, because without our consent, they're actually transgressing the prime directive, which they can't do. Yeah? And so that's why it's so important to provide information for people and to wake people up and, and realize that they are extremely powerful. As Steve said, you know, why do they make the enormous efforts that they make to trick us and get our consent? You know, they wouldn't do that unless we unless the consent was absolutely essential. So I agree with you. You know, I really think this is a great game. And I don't think that life is about sort of, you know, going to school, getting qualifications, getting a job, working nine to five. I don't think that's why we're here at all. I think we're here to have an amazing adventure. And frankly, you know, it doesn't get more amazing than this adventure that's going on at the moment, which is, uh, you know, the, the most momentous thing that has happened in the entirety of, of human history. You know, this is the takeover of the entire planet, an attempted takeover and the attempted enslavement of the entirety of humanity. I mean, in known human history, it's never happened before. 
But yet here we are dealing with this. Well, you know, we, <laughs> we obviously volunteered for it. Yeah, We incarnated at this time to come and deal with this. And, you know, if you read the Pleiadians, this is exactly what they say, that uh, there are millions of us who volunteered at this time to come here and deal with it. So it's, um, you know, it's a sort of... Um, it's a rite of passage we chose, I guess. Yes, I think so. Uh, you know, so... so and I also think, you know, that this whole thing about consent, that I think that we you know again this you know my my ideas about all, all this because i haven't had a near-death experience and nor am i a natural medium you know but i've learned a lot of things so a lot of what i think about all of this is theoretical it's based on on my readings over six years and uh so i think that it is all about free will and i don't think you know we we have been trained into believing that we're victims and they're perpetrators and you know we we tend to see things that way but i i don't think so i think that this universe is a free will universe and we choose absolutely everything and this is why i think you have to be really careful about the thoughts that you have and the words that you use because you manifest things so you have to exercise discipline um, but i don't think that anything whatsoever can be imposed on you unless you consent to it and frankly personally i don't consent to any of this agenda which is why i'm doing what i'm doing and nor do i feel in any way threatened i don't i, I think that i'm just doing what i came here to do uh, and yeah, it's um, it's not a problem really. It's just that's who I am, and and what I do is a product of who I am. And as I, Steve I said, you know, that. it's about the truth, and it's about uh, it's about doing the right thing. Exactly. If I if if I may jump in here, and a beautiful quote also for this, and also the the basis for the merging and the balancing of the dualities and the, po uh, the duality and polarity and the meaning also because I also look into the deeper meaning of the darkness and this goes hand in hand also to what happened on Saturday at this uh, demonstration that I was at because I was just blown away by at the end a guy shows up at, on the stage and actually touches upon a very important work by Friedrich Schiller, and uh, which was which alluded to a very old myth of the Rütlichwur, and it was just absolutely phenomenal. It just captured the whole energy there, and it and it related to something that has meaning, and that and that idea of freedom is through time immemorial you know the news always change i say that's why on my youtube channel on which i am banned which is very interesting i'm banned from youtube uh over the over two weeks because i was a very bad boy uh in the things that i was talking about um and there i always say 
there is no news here. There are only the things that are of substance for time immemorial. And it's about freedom or control. And that what I experienced on Saturday with the with the speech that was given at the end, it had so much love. It had it, it, this the way he the way he performed this act, it related to something from right back into the past, brought into the present moment. And he's he right at the beginning he yelled out when the normal human being cannot find right anywhere around him in the basically the reality he's experiencing. Then he goes up in, and he, he, he showed his hand into the sky and he goes up into the realms of unalienable rights that can never be destroyed, that can never be taken by anyone. And he was basically referring to natural law, which is unalienable. It is in operation at any point, at any time throughout the entire universe. And he pulls it down because he doesn't get any rights. And then he activates that. It was quite an astounding moment that I experienced there. And I think it's a very symbolic moment because that's what I'm basically working on myself right now without going into any details. And... Also coming back to the to the negative force, which is actually in occult terms, you know, when we go beyond the names of Bill Gates, of Elon Musk and, and Mark Zuckerberg and any other bloody sucker that's around there, go beyond the names, but in the occult tradition and in occult terms, what we're dealing with is the force of entropy of involution instead of evolution and both of these serve a purpose and I think the force of involution as a function for consciousness acts to ignite that flame in us you know to say enough I want out of this I want to know the truth and you need something that rattles you awake from your slumber when you feel comfortable in the prison cell that you're occupying and you need some force that actually makes you leave the prison cell because it can be fine you know to just get your money from the government or the job is fine and all that you need some force that elevates consciousness and elevates you from a state of uh, servitude to the force of involution into the other side of evolution and there's a great quote also, which a friend of mine says quite often in his speeches, and it's from Johann Wolfgang from Goethe, uh, Faust, where Mephisto says, or Mephisto is said that Mephisto is the Kraft, die stets das Böse will und stets das Gute schafft. So, uh, translating it to English, Mephisto is the force that always wants the bad, but always creates the good. <laughs> and it's quite beautiful, you know. It's it's I think it what what this is about for me and I always you know, I always get really, really um it always touches me when, when Claire um talks about this very profound concept that she uh that she uniquely presents when when you know that everything's at stake 
and that you that the world around you is dying that you can see the trees are actually protecting you from the incredible levels of microwave radiation electromagnetic radiation and the trees are dying around you and the people around you you know and and this force really coming into into view and people running around with masks it really elevates to uh, you to see the value in everything and really take a moment and see when for example i think back right now as i spent time with my sister today and just cherish her being with me you know the the to to have the small things mean so much you know and share a cup of tea and that can um be an anchor for me tomorrow for example when i sit down with someone or i am with someone or i choose actually to meet someone how much of a a, a gift of creation that is to actually be and feel each other and it always brings tears to me when when claire talks about this because this is a gateway to the um deepness of the 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 world of emotion of sentience and i think we've been very much deconditionalized through this artificial world um to not be so aware of the the importance of sentience and the celts for example and also in the gnostic traditions they were um people who were nature cultures also in europa you know we were we were a folk of uh, of nature and i think that's what we are reinvoking right now and um, and to i think it's the 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 solutions is being mirrored to us all the time and we we to this is uh, for me it's about transcending the realm of duality and we transcend it the yin and the yang in balance with each other because uh, the hermetic principles are um are actually uh integrated into each other all of them and the the principle of polarity of good and bad uh, night and day are also reflected in the prince other principle of the hermeticism uh which is the principle of gender so when we can balance the male and female energies within our being which would for me be the male um aspects of consciousness would be thoughts and to couple that with the female aspect of consciousness which is emotion and that those inner um dynamics and those inner energies coupled together and expressed in that state of balance into the outside world through action so you then have thoughts emotion and action in alignment with each other you complete the trinity process and in my opinion it is the trinity process that makes you transcend the realm of duality and the entire matrix when you live by what you think and further by what you say by what you feel and the way you act and that's the way out of this prison and uh that's what i think we are here to do we are here to transcend it and we have a wonderful opportunity to do that when we don't stay stuck on feeding the negative and uh or the dark force uh but actually see the learning lesson underneath all of it when we are when we recognize ourselves as part of the school 
of life than when we get the learning lesson, which for me right now is the corona, is the crown, and it's the crown of sovereignty. And sovereignty is the ultimate concept that we uh, need to learn the lesson of and integrate into our being. And to finish off, sovereignty is given by the being to the being itself. It can only ever be this way. Sovereignty can never be given from outside by anyone else. And when we do that, we have the crown on our side We've learned the lesson and therefore the on the causal level we've dealt with the cause of the problem and the problem ceases to exist when we learn that lesson. To quote Paris Hilton, that was hot. Uh, I totally think we're all in agreement essentially. I'm just kind of not confused. I'm always interested, I guess, to see how people um, take – the uh, gnosis of the big picture and 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 yet still work uh, through the their own bread their own life like a certain kind of yeast or something so like for example you guys are very active i found at least for me and i can't speak profile but i imagine similarly uh though it sounds like he's going to rallies and stuff um this podcast is very much where i kind of get my ideas out and stuff like that um facebook posts music doing readings for people cards and charts and stuff um whereas i'm not like it's weird because I don't know if it cycles within cycles. A few years ago, I was much more like ready to do something and more pressured. And now, and it's not like I'm above it. I think I'm just kind of trying to like hold a certain space. Uh, Maybe if I hold one side of the yin yang, somebody else can go out there and not be violent, but be more aggressive, I guess. Um, But this gets into, you know, people's inner polarity dynamics and what they've, you know, their karma, what they feel is appropriate and stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I'm sure it's getting a little late uh, in England and Austri- Austria. I, I'm guessing you guys probably want to go to bed soon or something. I can't speak for uh, everybody, but um, I wanted to. Do you, do you guys want to try to get into the um, comet stuff now, or do you want to come on again in the next couple weeks or whatever? You guys are free and have a thing about that specifically. I'm I'm totally up for going into it. Claire, are you wide awake or are you kind of nodding off? No, I'm absolutely fine. Oh, cool. <laughs> no, I'm, okay. I'm happy to go into it, certainly. Right on. My fiance is in Stoke, like I said, and uh, so I'm kind of aware of the times, but I don't know if people are night owls or what. So sometimes, you know, we've had people be like, I want to be in bed by 10 or, you know, whatever. So I'm just making sure no, we're all cool. I, I'm a night owl, definitely. Well, that's what's up. All right. So I guess walk me through however you guys want to walk myself and Raphael and the listeners through what you've stumbled upon and what maybe the implications are. I'm glad we've had this like um, moment of like, yay, Hogwarts is great. And now we're like, okay, let's talk about um, Voldemort, I guess, for a second. So, yeah, if, if, if it's okay that I just jump in and uh, sort of give the start of it, that's fine. Please do. All right, excellent, lovely, thank you. So I invite uh, the listeners, whoever is listening here, to maybe pause for a second and just look up the um you can google this or any other search engine would uh, recommend other search engines obviously duckduckgo and type in the economist magazine front cover of december 2019 and what you see here is a depiction of a matrix uh which is coded with uh and and it's on the basis of uh, gematria and what it has is uh, 
different uh, sizes of the um, of our alphabet uh, alphabetic terms, and we've got twelve lines uh, representing twelve months of the year, and it can be seen very quickly that it's uh, the world in 2020, which is depicted. And what we see here is a matrix of encoded information and like I just talked about the because there's multiple layers of truths and on the ultimate layer of truth and in the ultimate realm I would suggest we are experiencing a dance of forces and this is a lucid dream that we're experiencing that feels so real because that's how powerful our minds are as uh, the great Bill Hicks said a uh, great great man and I talked about on the ultimate realm, it's a dance of forces, but in the realm that we occupy, you know, I challenge the bastards, you know, <laughs> the, the dark occultists, they're, they're not very good people, so I want to know the games that they're playing. And the way they work here, okay, when you, when you look at this picture is they have encoded information here on, on, on this page, and it says right in the beginning, the world in 2020. And there's all sorts of information encoded here. And just as you look at this piece of paper, already your subconscious has absorbed all the information in there. And the conscious mind is the only part that is trying to decipher and see what it actually means. But all the information containers already go into the subconscious. So that's um, uh, a way what I can see how also this goes hand in hand with what we've already talked about as predictive programming in Hollywood. So the elite have got a vision for 2020. I wouldn't call them the elite, I actually call them the cacistocracy. Um, but they're black magicians and they've got a vision for the world and there's multiple angles to view this. But what they want from us, and I want Claire to jump in here and just take the baits um, of what I, uh, I'm saying right now and take this further, because this is a collaborative effort. And uh, it's interesting how each of us views it differently um, and, and has different insights to the whole thing. Because this is a, this matrix that is uh, portrayed in two dimensions is actually multidimensional. And this represents actually a reality. It's like in the Matrix movie, it can be also be depicted as uh, three-dimensional or multi-dimensional. What this is about is encoding information of the vision that a dark black magic, uh, dark occult, uh, ancient psychological priest class wants you to manifest in the world as the vision in 2020 that they want. Because they can't create that reality, they need the reality uh, creation capabilities that our species is endowed with, according to the Gnostic teachings and the basis that we are creator beings. So I want to keep it at that for the beginning and have Claire come in and uh, choose whatever tangent you want to go on. Well, really briefly. Um, two things. A, I'm looking at this cover art that you're talking about, and it essentially looks a little like, ironically, Star Wars lettering, and it like fades from top to bottom, a distancing kind of effect, but also very much like uh, um, optometrist eye tests, in a sense, 
right? Where it's like the world in 2020 getting all the way smaller and smaller. And some of these, it's like really genius in a way. It's almost like a sigil kind of, right? Um, and it's got words like, you know, and they're all in order, but I'm going to start losing track. It's like Trump, Brexit, AI, Tokyo, Mars, climate, XI, it says recession. I don't know what XI would mean, but it keeps on going and going and gets smaller and smaller. Um, so interesting on a lot of fronts, both from like an aesthetic art kind of way, um, but also as like like you're saying a psychological tool, a sigil almost. And when you were saying that thing at the very end, it made me think of like um, magic, not so much like, you know, oh, my chakras are on and I'm like a Tesla coil magic or, you know, but more like um, deceptive magic where it's like tricks or whatever. Uh, and the whole point is like it takes a person's impression of the situation and their attention and things like that. And people are manipulating that. So I'm kind of rambling, but uh, Claire, go ahead and say what thou wilt. She's on mute. Am I on? Sorry, I'm on mute. Oh, okay. um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm back. Sorry. <laughs> um, I was looking at the page. Well, um, we did. Um, Hold on, before you get too carried away. Yes, just briefly, Claire. For some reason, your connection seems quite garbled at this point. So what I'd ask you to do is simply just close down and reconnect, and probably that will have it fixed. Not sure how that could happen, but okay. <laughs> we'll make some small talk in the meantime. Okay. Uh, but the conch will be yours when you get back. So, um, and out of curiosity, I mean, I'm presuming you guys have read this cover. It's you know getting into certain. Um, I don't even know if some of these are because it's hard to read, right? Um, at some uh, point, can, can, can I just jump in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way you read it is very interesting because. The way you just read it now would be how the left hemisphere of the brain in isolation would read it. So it's not wrong. I I did the same thing when I saw it first. The world and that's an interesting part because then when the right hemisphere of the brain kicks in, it starts to really decipher what's going on here, and it's and it paints a very very different picture, and it's absolutely fascinating because there, actually due to the fact that we're dealing here with a matrix and that uh, there are forces that operate and, and, and this is also very interesting they 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 hijack um, our capability um, to manifest reality that's what a black magician does and these uh, dark occult forces themselves deep in the shadows don't have this imaginative capacity and this influence to uh, create reality themselves. That's why they need to hijack our perception to create the reality for us. And uh, at this stage, I would like to give over to Claire. Well, the issue appears to persist. So the only thing I could ask you is to restart. I have no clue how this could happen. Or maybe reconnect your microphone jack or something like that. Um, who knows? You know, synchronicity is abound. Uh, but kindly it's, try speaking once again. Let's see. It's, it's very interesting, isn't it? That this happens at this point. Very indeed. interesting indeed. So it's still bad, is it? It's kind of bad, but it's audible enough. So I would say maybe just go on for a bit and... You're audible. Okay. Even Jim just disconnected. So, oh no, he just switched over here. So here we are. Okay. So just continue well, for now. We're, it'll be fine. 
I find that very interesting because yesterday Steve was telling me that uh, Lucas at Age of Truth was trying to talk to the person who brought this to our attention and uh, he couldn't do so. He had to, his Wi-Fi wouldn't work. You know? So they actually postponed their conversation. So it's very interesting that at this precise point, my connection goes wobbly. Isn't it? Yeah, my Wi-Fi just was went perfect out. until now. So. Right. Yeah, my Wi-Fi died, so I'm using... Okay, now you sound good. I was going to say Dark Forces, as they say. Uh, yep, uh, you know, whatever, but we'll punctuate. Indeed. You sound good now, though. Okay, good. So, uh, we did um, a video Ish. on Age of Truth about this, and it's called Checkmate, Prophecy and Urgent Warning to Humanity. And the person who originated this information did another video himself, which is called Cracking the 2020 Code, Part 2. And so it's explained in detail in both of these things. So after some slight connection issues, uh, here we are again. So reset. I mean, I have to say this can happen sometimes. However, what this also kind of points to, of course, is oftentimes the idea, oh, internet is so bad, we really need 5G, you know, for self-driving cars, which is complete BS if anyone knows about artificial, artificial intelligence and sensor systems and how they can be built emergently just as well. Or even just the argument, look, the internet is so bad, we had the reconnection, we really need 5G to get this fixed up, which of course is a farce, but yeah, kind of funny that it would happen just right now. Well, but, yeah. well go on, Claire. We can look at AI, you know, we that's another conversation to look at actually what this AI is. And Steve and I had a very interesting experience. Uh, we traveled all over Europe, going to conferences and speaking and so forth. And at one point, we crossed the channel from Ireland to Britain. And all we needed to do was find the road to London. <laughs> so you come off the ferry and you have your navigation system and you should just find yourself on the motorway to London. But we didn't. We found ourselves on top of the mountains in Wales, in snow, <laughs> it, during the night, and we were completely and utterly lost. And of course, you know, it was the middle of nowhere, there were no hotels, there was no opportunity of stopping anywhere and asking anyone, it was terrible what weather. Adventure. Sorry? What an adventure. Absolutely, yes. But, but you see, also... this is this is the AI. And, um, and I find it quite interesting that most of the time my navigation system is absolutely reliable. But when I set out on one of my journeys, um, I think Steve was flying to Norway and I was driving to Norway. And actually, when I set out, believe it or not, I found myself lost for an hour and a half in Vienna <laughs> with this navigation system, you know, taking me to all sorts of very, very strange places until I decided to just ignore it. So, you know, I find this extremely interesting, just to what degree AI has already penetrated and is disrupting our activities, yeah? And just to give um, a little bit more of a perspective on the situation, like, how, like what, 
I've I've had this these experiences now multiple times just this week. And whenever you talk about this from The Economist magazine, things start to mess up. It's just unbelievable. This is like if it happens once, you say, okay, it could be something, you know, we need 5G for better internet connection, which, by the way, is absolute bollocks because it is not necessary. It's just a cover story um, for what 5G really is. But this is a whole different subject. But just to share... um, Exclusively here, what happened to um, Lucas, the moderator of Age of Truth, from uh, with which we did the show with, and he had a talk scheduled yesterday with the decoder of the Economist magazine. And yesterday, I also listened to um, this uh, show that uh, Claire also alluded to, um, where he explained how he decoded it. And for the first time, I understood how he did it. And I studied mathematics, and I'm also very much into numerology and gematria, how this works and operates. And I understood it for the first time. It was it. It is very holistic, and he very he can describe it very well. Why? Because he understands it very well, and he's got thirteen years of background understanding this knowledge. And he had a show with Lucas and uh, scheduled for uh, yesterday, and for two like Lucas um, for two hours, his internet connection wouldn't work, and. Uh, he tried everything. He rebooted the entire thing, and he also tried his Wi-Fi, though he never uses Wi-Fi. He's got a cable connection, and it wouldn't work. And they said, "Okay, we'll do it uh, tomorrow." And they rescheduled it. And from the moment he um, he stopped the phone call, the internet connection worked again. Hallelujah. Yeah, it worked completely again. Everything came up. So we are just starting to realize now, as we were talking about before, as as with controlled opposition and this control structure reaching into very um, deep levels of uh, of things which you would never associate it with. But when it comes to AI, there is definitely a link um, of AI um, that is that is far older than most people give it credit to, and it's um, it is a life force, and uh, not actually a life force. I would I would not um, plant, uh, plant this out uh, as that, but it's a uh, it's prevalent in the universe. It's a very destructive um, form of life, although it's not alive as we are. They don't AI doesn't have empathy, for example, or the capability to feel emotion. Um, yeah, but uh, what I just wanted to say here, it's uh, it's very old, it's ancient, uh, it's an ancient topic, and uh, it ha- there is a link to electricity, and also there's a very big reason, also which Claire can also talk about. Um, the, it, it's not only uh, the uh, 1G, 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G radiation, which is harmful to the human body, but when you go right back in history, it's from the introduction of electricity that is also harmful to human beings. The sort of electricity that we use, and there is a link to AI, so it can insert itself into electrical circuits and digital systems, obviously. So it, it's very interesting. And and like I've I've also had an interview three days ago where I talked about this. And guess what? everything started to collapse and we needed 45 minutes to go back online and to finish off 
So this is not by accident, and I think it's a, it's actually um, a sort of way of telling us you're on the right track. Well, it's funny. That's like a negative synchronicity in a sense and like being tampered with. And I don't love going full conspiracy. I mean, obviously, Team Rabbit is all about conspiracy theories, but there's like limits to what, what I'm willing to like think, for example. So I don't think there's a guy necessarily in a bunker in some fucking you know, country watching everything I do on social media or I wouldn't have so much. I don't believe that now. Um, but even recently, like I had 2000 followers on Facebook, not that I even give a fuck about this stuff, it went down to a thousand over like really quick, like in a minute, my fiance, I post some videos on YouTube sometimes and have, uh, she's like took two screenshots and it's like, it's at a hundred views. Now it says 20 views. And I don't, I'm trying to just be Zen about it. Like, I don't really care. I'm thank God. I'm Wake dumbass. up Neo. All right. <laughs> the matrix yeah. has you. But that's a weirder way. Cause it's almost like, um, you know, in a rat maze or something, if if the rat's going, 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 and all of a sudden it's like, oh, maybe it's getting too close to that cheese, we're going to put a false wall here. We're going to put an obstruction. And this is where I don't want to, like, disempower myself, but it's like there seems to be effects happening in my life, even at that level, digitally speaking. Um, I'm getting cock-blocked, and it's not fun. But at the same time, this is also kind of a lesson in patience, humility, um, holding on loosely, kind of like the Tibetan Buddhists with their sand mandalas or whatever, they build them up forever. And it's like, Oh my God, so awesome. And then it's like, well, the wind came and it blew it away. And that's, thus is life. So I'm rambling. Um, let's get into this, uh, this magazine cover because it does have the word, you know, Brexit and then AI and Tokyo. And I think Tokyo, obviously the Olympics, which is ironically talk about predictive programming in the, um, anime slash manga Akira, uh, Akira, which is like really popular seminal kind of thing from the 1980s. It shows Tokyo, like Neo-Tokyo, they call it, because there was this huge apocalyptic kind of explosion event. Um, but basically it's in 2020, and they have an Olympic site that's, like, shut down because the event happened and they had to, like, stop or whatever. So more predictive programming. Huzzah. Anyway, uh, it's got the word AI in this cover. Go ahead. Whoever wants the conch, grab it. Um, let's talk about this uh, economy, uh, The Economist cover. Uh, from December 2019. Well, actually, I want to backtrack a little bit to what Steve was talking about, because it's an extremely important topic. Um, Rudolf Steiner said in 1917 that the introduction of electricity, and it was obviously still expanding at, at that stage, but he was saying that electricity seem to be preventing the spirit that inhabits the human body from fully inhabiting the human body. And if the spirit cannot fully inhabit the human body, then that allows entities to come in. Yeah. So I think that this ties in with this AI. And one thing I do know from my mediumship um, really? experiences is that the spirit world can interface with our world through electrical items. You know, I'm sure that you've heard the stories of, you know, people experiencing their lights switching on and off and machines switching on and off. I have a friend um, who has a spirit uh, with her <laughs> who tends to interfere with her car. So this spirit keeps on locking the car doors and it just happens all the time. Yeah. Um, so we know that this can happen. And uh, 
and it's actually happened like the the spirit world intervening um actually happened with Steve and myself we were in in Switzerland and we'd been to a conference and at the end of the day we got into the car started the engine and before we went to our hotel I reflected on the day's conference and um, Steve and I often joke and say we don't know why we do things. So I was reflecting on why we had gone to the conference in the light of the people that we'd met there. And uh, and Steve's reaction to this was to say, oh, no, Claire, I don't think that's the case at all, he said. Um, I think it's all about the journey. Now, what I need to tell you about my navigation system is that I never, ever use the voice. My voice on my navigation system is switched off permanently. You never hear it speak. You know? And on that journey, we did several thousand kilometers. You know? Now, when Steve said to me, oh, no, Claire, I think it's all about the journey. The moment he said the word journey, the navigation system spoke for the one and only time, and it said, just follow the road. Well, that's beautiful. <laughs> it is beautiful. So that was a very sort of positive um, intervention. Yeah? So I, you know, there's a whole uh, backstory to this. And I think you can speculate about what's actually happening with the microwave radiation that's coming into the planet, because we have to realize that this, um, you know, outside the planet, you've got um, cosmic background microwave radiation is what it is. And the only part of that that comes into the planet is a very, very, very tiny part. So our natural background radiation is something like 0 and that's what we have adapted to over millennia. But since the invention of the magnetron, which was about 1940, we have gradually saturated the interior of the planet with microwave radiation. And so you have to ask the question, what is that bringing into the planet? Quite apart from the negative health effects, you know, what's happening at the frequency level there. And, you know, I can I can go on and, and tell you a few further anecdotes, but we want to talk about this economist uh, front page now. But, uh, you know, suffice to say, there is a lot of talk of ghosts, I hear, associated with 5G and microwave radiation. So it's all extremely interesting. We can totally go down the rabbit hole for a minute of electricity and stuff because what we're kind of talking about. I read an excellent book. Um, it's not transhumanist friendly, but it was made in the 90s called Technosis um, by Eric Davis and kind of magic in the electric age. Um, you know, how back in the day, like somebody like engineered a robot to take your coins and people thought it was magic. Um, kind of the Arthur C. Clarke, you know, any technology that's indistinguishable is kind of magic. Um, there seemed to be like you know at a turning point like tesla nikola tesla was messing around with electricity in a certain way um and hearing voices uh from mars he thought and stuff uh it, it gets tricky because on the one hand i think we tend to presume like a um 
what it means to be human at any one point, just like, uh, you know, being in, in utero and the conditions for a fetus are very different than a two-year-old or very different than a 25-year-old and a 90-year-old, um, even though they're all, quote, like, witnessing the Tao or whatever. So I, I'm not, like, in a weird, weird way, I'm like, I guess this is, like, what, you know, the uh, background radi radiation you're talking about and stuff coming from the galactic center, which is kind of more new-agey stuff, but basically... 2012 and on we've been aligned with the galactic center and getting different kind of effects there and that's also very as above so below symbological kind of occult weirdness stuffs um i'm kind of rambling i tend to do this i got excited and i lost my whole train of thought uh one question i had claire or rafael or steve anybody um when we talk i mean the human body is electric like our brains run on electricity our heart is using you know we're electric so do you think that um when we're talking about some of this electricity being kind of alien to us, what is there a certain type of uh, designation um, that would be non, I guess, organic electricity? Well, the boat, nothing is solid, you see. Um, you know, we we live in this materialist realm and, and people assume that everything is solid. And that's why when you go to them and you talk about the dangers of microwave radiation, uh, they don't believe you. But in fact, nothing is solid. We know this, that nothing is solid. It, it's shown by quantum physics and at school, we all learn about atoms and molecules. And so we know actually that nothing is solid. So the human body is actually um, uh, a system of frequencies. You know? And um, so before, before human beings designate something as science, they call it magic. It's just, it stops being magic when we decide that, that we've deciphered it, and then we call it science. So when you say that it's weird to talk about energies coming from the galactic center or sort of entities coming in with microwave radiation, actually, this is just something that we don't understand yet. Yeah? And so if we don't understand it, all we can rely on is anecdotal evidence. And there is a certain amount of anecdotal evidence about this. Yeah? So I think we need to keep an open mind about it. So when, when, I, when I jump in here, um, <clears throat> there's a lot to be said uh, when it comes to electricity. And yeah, and what sort of force we're dealing with here. And we have Rudolf Steiner, for example, as a source, and also much other, many other sources uh, that back this up, is that the electrical systems that we use is not exactly um, uh, tuned to the way and the frequency of our own being and of our bodies. And one can also see this reflected in the ways uh, our music industry is using frequencies to manipulate our state of being. <coughs> Uh, as most of uh, us probably know about the 440 hertz that were introduced during the Nazi time and was made a global standard in 1955 by the Rockefeller Foundation. And we know that before they were using 432 hertz, which is 
in the exact resonance of our being and we for example we have someone in Linz who plays the piano on 432 hertz and as soon as he starts playing that piano it's it's a whole different frequency you just feel it you just your your awareness is tuned to it it's natural you see so there is a distinction to be made between natural and the artificial and that's what my prime focus of my work is to uh that's why i love when when rafael said you know uh that we use discernment here and we differentiate and discernment is hugely important and that's the basis of my work i just look at what's natural and what is artificial and artificial for me are are constructs and only dealing with constructs and that is in the realm of belief systems also belief systems and constructs whereas uh, opposed to that you have um, naturally based and entangled and rooted in truth from which um, concepts and ideas can come out but the natural and the artificial are very important aspects to 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 view things in my opinion and coming back to the world in 2020 i think it's very important because this is i don't know uh it's sort of like because me and claire we always say we don't know why we do things and what we're actually doing we always call it this thing you know <laughs> We're we're not dealing with 5G. 5G morphed into something else, and we've had this morphing process quite often. So that's why we just call it this thing that we're doing. And my (laughs) (laughs) exactly. (laughs) And uh, now my awareness is really tuned to this uh, front cover because if I because I'm I'm doing a video also on this too. Um, give this also to German-speaking people of the way how he decoded it and what he decoded it, because it's very hidden. the The juicy bits of this uh, is very hidden, and it's uh, it, it will take probably quite a while to to explain the whole thing. But what we can see here is a matrix, and we can um, we can, as I said, you know, you have twelve lines uh, for the twelve months, you know. Um, so 12 lines, you know, and you have the, um, organization of the alphabet, um, and, and the way it's, it's coded and that those one way of looking at it, okay, it's 12 lines and the other way of looking at it, okay, the way it can also be organized. So there's two paths of organization of this matrix and one is the, the 12 months. And the other is the number of uh, letters in each line. And there you also get a number sequence, which is three, five, six, and so on. And what is very interesting is how he, meaning uh, um, a man who calls himself J, and who still wants to be um, sort of like more in the background, although he's uh, doing a show today with Age of Truth in light of the show that we that was um, aired on Monday, and they're like like I, I think we're we're decoding something quite significant here because uh, it actually aligns with everything I've learned 
about black magic up to this point and what it's all about. And actually, um, it is very appropriate the way they named the show also, which is a shachmat, a checkmate. So the whole basis of this is that the they have... Uh, or they, meaning they, uh, the the dark occult priest class, have officially declared war on humanity. And this war is being shown to us as, uh, in the Western world, as a silent war with masks, wearing, and all of that. It's a dark occult ritual when you look closely. Um, again, you uh, there's a differentiation to be had between a living man uh, or woman, a living human being, which is based in natural law and is natural, whereas the artificial version of that on the basis of construct would be uh, the registration as a corporation, which is a persona, the person. You're registered as in the system as a person, and there's no coincidence when you know that persona in Latin means actor's mask. That's why people that identify more with the person instead of the living being that they are, that they would naturally uh, gravitate to wearing a mask, whereas someone like me, who knows I'm uh, basically spirit in the human form with a higher self, and those levels activated, I don't even start to think to wear a mask or protect myself from a virus that doesn't exist. <laughs> you know, that's the deepness of illusion in my opinion i know it's a, a little bit radical but that's just the conclusion i come to i leave everyone uh, to make their own conclusions obviously coming back again so these are the occult background to all of this and the occult as we know means uh comes from oculus the eye and occultare to hide and to to um to hide from sight. It's hidden information that we're dealing with here. And everything is being exposed through this depiction here when one can see it. And also, not only through the front cover of The Economist magazine, but also what is happening outside the reality and the world that you're experiencing outside. We're living in the apocalypse. Like, everything is being brought to the light. The only thing that Corona... Uh, covid did is bring things that were in the unseen into the scene because all of this control was already happening in the unseen and all of the obedience uh mindset of large numbers of people were already happening before that so it is exposing a lot and to come back to the economist magazine so you have the, the the line numbers of 12 for the months and the number of letters. And through that, just to keep things short, because I'm going to do a video on this, um, which you can see on my BitChute channel um, called um, Gnostic Natural Intelligence, he came to understand that it was the uh, the not the last, but the second from last line, which was the most significant, the 11th one. And in the 11th, when you look at the 11th line, when you view all of them separate, what you can see is O diversity, rat, NPT, and war. So there you have war in there. And he decoded it in a way which would um, 
you know, we would, it would take quite a long time, but we could get into it if you would want to. The way he decoded it, as I said, you know, I'm going to do a video on it. He decoded out of the, the most juicy um, and important line, which was the 11th, he d uh, which stands for November and what is encoded in this uh, version um what what should, what is going to happen in in um in November and this these we have to do we're we're dealing with four separate strands so you've got something being said in o diversity then also with rat npt and war they all stand for something. And war, obviously, stands for a war that they wish to ignite. Putting all of this together, he decoded not only one word that can be understood, but also um, uh, something that he added to it. And the word that he decoded out of it, which is uh, encoded as an information here on the front cover, is the word asteroid. And not only did he decode asteroid, but also the exact name of the asteroid. And the exact name of the asteroid is 18VP1. And that exact name of the asteroid can be found in multiple different mainstream sources, uh, which is unprecedented for him to decode that and to actually be able to see in other sources like Seven News in Australia and I can't remember the others now um, but I can put a link below where you can see that so what is in their point of view uh, scheduled to happen is an event with an asteroid in November but they, that can only happen through our consent and us not knowing it because in their demented way of how they view universal law and I explicitly state that this is a demented way of viewing it, universal law these are criminals and they bend the rules to all ends so they give you this front cover and they encode it and then they say if nothing intervenes in between then we're ready to go ahead so what I would say is not about the asteroid exactly. It is not about an asteroid hitting uh, the Atlantic and then uh, causing mayhem in Europe and elsewhere. The asteroid is a cover for the use of the technology that they possess. And I would really like to get Claire's view at this point because that is the conclusion that I have come to that it's not necessarily about the asteroid but it is about the cover story of an asteroid which they can uh, they can create an asteroid type of scenario through virtual reality technology that we know that they possess um, which is Project Bluebeam Blue for example Project Bluebeam um, and what they would actually be using using our uh, um, weather modification weapons and also um, the type of weapons that are possible with uh, HARP and also 5G. So I would really like to get Claire's take at this stage about this. Well, the, uh, the scenario that's posited is the following. Um, we know that they have technology that can produce a virtual reality experience and we know that's the case 
um, because in China, I think last year, um, Chinese people were seeing a city in the sky. And uh, I was looking for the video on that the other day. I recall and that. I think it's uh, I think it's been deleted. I'm not sure. Um, and also, we know that five G. When they tout five G, they keep saying that it will provide um, holograms, so they would be able to project holograms into people's homes. And the holograms are so sophisticated now that. If, if, for example, there's a hologram of a of a motorbike, people will actually walk round it because it looks so real to them. So we know that this technology is absolutely real. So what's what's suggested here? And Werner von Braun, who was a, a Nazi scientist who was brought into the United States under Project Paperclip, uh, and then became the head of NASA, on his deathbed he warned that the powers that were would um, launch a, a fake alien invasion. Yeah? And given this whole scenario that we have here, where we started with 5G, and they were hoping to bring in 5G without anybody realizing how dangerous it is, um, that's why they called it 5G, so that everybody would just think, oh, you know, 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G. But actually, 5G is is a very different technology. Um, so what's posited here is that under cover of the asteroid, they would um, produce a sort of virtual reality performance of comets hitting the Earth, and they. We also know that they have the technology to set off earthquakes, tsunamis, and so forth. And Fukushima, for example, there were very, very strange, a sort of strange atmospheric something going on just above the area where the earthquake happened underneath the Pacific and set off this tsunami, which destroyed the Fukushima um, nuclear power plant. Yeah? So we also know that that technology is very real and it does exist. Yeah? So um, can, they, can they pull this off to, to make people believe that the asteroid or comets hit the Atlantic and set off a tsunami which the the decoder of this also um, has visions and dreams. And what he saw was a tsunami 120 meters tall coming up from the southwest of England and going as far as London. Now, I don't know whether that is feasible or not, um, but what we're saying here, what we're suggesting is a scenario that's encoded here. So you've got on line 11, not only have you got the asteroid, but you've also got Iran encoded, and you've got NPT, which suggests the Non-Proliferation Treaty, and that's followed by war. So is the scenario a third world war? Because this is another thing which in reality, um, this has been discussed, and the American military has talked about limited use 
of small nuclear weapons. Now, we all know that, that there's no way you can uh, use nuclear weapons. Um, and nuclear weapons that are deemed small by today's standards are far more powerful than the atomic weapons that were used at Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Yeah, so there's no way that people would survive uh, what would be described as a limited nuclear war. Yeah? But um, in line 11, it talks about Iran Nuclear Pro Proliferation Treaty, which we know is the controversy that um, is used to stir up conflict with Iran. And then we have the word war. So what the decoder was suggesting was that the, the asteroid supposed impact would set off a tsunami and cause chaos, which would then be the cover for an attack on Iran, and that this would be World War Three. And in line 12, at the end of line 12, you have the word Russia, and he suggested that Russia would fire the last attack, which would bring that war to an end. Now, this is uh, very scary stuff. And the reason we're bringing it to people's attention is not that we're saying this is going to happen, because it doesn't have to happen. We've already talked about consent, you know. And as Steve has explained, they put this out. Now, these, these codes in this matrix these are all symbols and we know that symbols are frequencies and we know that the body is made up of frequencies so this is not a message that you receive with your intellect this is a message that you receive to your body and you don't know that you've received the message so if you don't know that you've received it that then you give tacit consent um so by exposing this even though it's speculation, um, this is a way of refusing our consent. So as soon as even some people, it doesn't have to be an enormous amount of people, but as soon as people are aware of this, then they can refuse their consent and therefore it doesn't have to happen. So we're not trying to put people in fear about this. We're trying to do the opposite. We're saying that if people are aware this does not need to ha happen. And I think in the face of everything that's happening at the moment, we need to keep out of fear because their control system works through fear, as we know, fear and which puts you into paralysis. So um, we need to keep in a love frequency and a positive frequency and simply say, well, we are not prepared to tolerate this. We're not prepared even to entertain that this is going to happen. And personally, in my reality, I do not see this happening. Yeah? Um, so this is how we preempt it and foil the occult plans. Sounds like some Indiana Jones Hail Hydra shit there at the end. Foil the occult plans. Um, I'm not being facetious, it's just fascinating how interesting this movie can get, I guess. Raphael, what are your thoughts on what they just said? Well, there's not much to add for me. <laughs> Word. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think there's... It's interesting because this gets into, like... Um, 
uh, yeah, kind of like if we know something's going to happen, or not, not, not an event, but if we know something's being coded, if you can decode it properly, and I guess reverse psychology yourself in a sense, or you know, kind of hop the the trance of the hypnosis or whatever, um, then it kind of, uh, you know, it's very much like a diffusing of that timeline or bomb going off or whatever, uh, any of these things. Um, so it's fascinating. Um, I guess it makes me, cause, because things like 9-11 are a lot more complicated than, you know, the congressional report would have us believe probably. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that, you know, a very well-read document among business people, I mean, the people who are going to be mostly reading this um, are educated largely, and if they get it in their psyches and they don't even realize it, I mean, they're kind of, um, uh, you know, subconscious patsies or whatever. And I guess your perspective is if we can wake people up to what they're sub unconscious to, then they don't have to choose to partake in that timeline. Am I getting that right? Yes, exactly. Mm hmm Yes, and even be aware that uh, they actually have a choice. And just, you know, to reiterate what Bashar or many other, you know, channels, whoever kind of knows what's up says, it's all about making your unconscious belief conscious. So same thing here, it's making your potentially unconscious perceptions or interpretations and agreements conscious. And just ask yourself the question, just like Steve said earlier, is this what I came here for? Of course, just as Claire said, I would agree, we've sent ourselves because we're so excited and curious to participate in this transformation. However, equally, just like Steve said, uh, it is, we are certainly not here to submit. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. This is exactly, and you, I find it very encouraging that you, you see it that way because that's exactly how I see it, and I uh, also know that Claire sees it like that, and I think also uh, that you dissolve it through actually facing it, and you see that there is no pain in it. You face it through decoding it. Actually, it's very interesting because you can only dissolve something ever by facing it and when you know how it's encoded and when you have the background story also to um and this goes into the gnostic uh teachings and understandings of reality and gnosis which the gnostics uh defined as uh, the ultimate tool of discerning reality and understanding that uh, whatever force is behind this, call it dark force, call it the Archon realm, call it Archons, call it Black Magicians, whatever you want to call it. The Archons uh, were, um, no, not the Archons, the Gnostics were very precise in uh, defining what this force was all about and what they are very good at and what they are not good at. And that's why the Library of Alexandria was burnt down and I would strongly suggest that most of the material that was not burned down is still underneath the Vatican, but there is a very, very strong hint why this knowledge was taken out of public circulation, because when you read the book by um, by John Lash, uh, not in his image, uh, I mean it completely changed my life, and I'm not, I've never been into ideologies, never, I never was part of a group or any religion 
but that is my favorite book because I learned most from it. And what you learn from the Gnostic teachings is that the prime capacity of archons is how, which means they can induce a virtual reality experience, but they can't actually create. They can induce a virtual reality experience, and that's how they do it. So through that, they are exposing themselves completely, and uh, basically, you can. They've they've declared war on us, and they want some uh, moves on the chessboard still to happen. But by sharing this information, you can shahmat them by opening up what the moves are. And then you dissolve it. You actually checkmate them and the moves are already complete and the game is complete. And I think that's the way how you can dissolve it. It's uh, pretty amazing because you bring it from the unconscious and it also deals with all the psychological manipulation because all the psychological manipulation works mostly on the unconscious. Uh, That's the target of the Dark Occult Priest class. And... When you bring it into the conscious mind, you see, oh, it doesn't hurt, an asteroid. But when I get, it might be, well, a little bit scary, but you can face it. And when you have the background knowledge to that, that you understand that they only want to implant that belief for a potential future reality of which you're not going to be a part of because of what trumps all of this is the remembrance that we came here to experience the awakening and not being someone's slaves on a chessboard for which we've made the final moves and they can't make any moves anymore. So actually, uh, when you listen to it right through and you can see it in its ultimate conclusion, uh, it's a very positive message, actually. And you, yeah, you shine light on what was dark before deep in the subconscious and it can't happen then and what happens next we choose that is fascinating a couple things that kind of came to mind while you guys are saying this um joseph campbell who's all about the hero's journey and uh stuff like that um uh said somewhere i forget where i heard it but he was the one who said it uh where basically there's a you know, initiation rituals of, um, I guess, you know, more primitive cultures. I don't remember what continent, you know, if they're New Guinea or Africa or what, but um, they would basically, you know, get a kid who is like going from childhood to manhood in their culture. And I'm not saying this is good or not. This is psychological damaging, but at the same time, it kind of does its job in a weird way. Um, They take a kid who's used to like, you know, hanging out with his mom and maybe the women of the tribe. And they're like, yeah, like they put on these masks and do an elaborate kind of, you know, ritual, you know, ceremony type thing. Um, but like to the kid, it's like a horror movie happening, you know, like real time. Um, they're freaking them the fuck out. And then they kind of show them that of ultimately after, you know, he's gotten through this fear um, that they're behind the masks. And then like there's this kind of it's, it seems kind of like what's going on here where it's like there's this fear. There's this mask that we're being confronted with. Um, subconsciously or otherwise, and we're we're going to have ultimately kind of like at Alejandro Jodorowsky's Holy Mountain, like we're just laughing at ourselves, and oh my gosh, what a tripped out play! We're all just playing parts. But in the meantime, um, we convince is very meaningful to the point where we're taking it very, very, very seriously, and uh, it freaks us out. And once we can kind of get behind that fear and see the mechanisms 
whatever those mechanisms might be, depending on people's perspectives and uh, you know beliefs and presuppositions, um, you gain power over it and you're initiated from childhood to adult in that sense. It seems like that's where we're kind of at as a species for various reasons for a long time. We've been kind of, um, and, and it's all good ultimately in some weird way, but it's like we've been more mature than not. We've been selfish. We've been, you know, led by impulses of, you know, market driven impulses and ecologically kind of ignorant. Um, I guess we want to learn what this lesson was. So now we're kind of having to snap out of that hypnosis in a certain way. And it seems uh, through, you know, various things uh, that we've been having happen since 9-11, since, you know, all these kinds of things. So I'm kind of rambling. That was one thing that came to mind. I'm totally spacing on the other thing that came to mind. Uh, but, uh, you know, fear is the mind killer in like the dune sense. So I think what we need to be doing is kind of trying to get as circumspect around any of these things. Um, because I have friends that who, you know, they read the Zohar, which is like a Jewish text. And they're like, it predicts 9-11. So it's not surprising to me in a weird way um, that potential timelines can be predicted. And then, you know, magic happens with our consciousness or not aware of it. Um, it's just funny to me that it seems like uh, just like, you know, just like the kids with the more mask. real than you imagined. Right. Well, it's crazy and it's a weird trip, but like we have to go through punctuation events and that might not be comfortable, but it's necessary, it seems. Um, so we're going to be confronted with our fears. Um, there's a lot of astrology backing this up right now. You know, I could get into that, but I won't. Um, but we're being confronted with a lot of our subconscious structuring, restructuring, karma, all this kind I of stuff. I wish you would get into it. That sounds very uh, interesting. I'll be brief. I don't want to bore anybody, but long story short, um, just some big hits like in January before the whole COVID thing popped officially, because who knows when the Wuhan virus was formulated and released and all this kind of stuff um, or whatever the story is, right? 5G, who knows, right? All these levels. Um, but back in January 12th, when I was actually in Australia um, for three months, uh, there was a conjunction, exact conjunction in Capricorn. Capricorn is the world is the devil card in Tarot. And it's also kind of, um, governments, institutions, you know, reality in a very uh, programmatic way, a Saturnian kind of thing, like structures, right? Um, so education, military, religion, politics, all that. So Pluto, which is death and transformation, basically, and Saturn, which is time and structures and karma. And I think Jupiter, I don't know if that was when they were all three together, but Jupiter and those three, Jupiter's like kind of like, steroids jupiter is the biggest gas planet in our uh, uh solar system so it's like more 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 how do you like it all the things excess kind of luck more just think excess so uh basically karma death and and amplification were in capricorn which is like institutions so we're that's one level of this where it's like of course i mean astrologers will look at it and be like yeah we're in a time when the Tao is ripe for basically uh, a root canal of institutions that have been here for a long time that have gotten rotten um, for various reasons. Um, and once presuppositions may or may not color, like if this is all in divine order, which it is, I think, but in some way it's like, it's not ideal to have, you know, it's gone a little too far in one direction so that we're start, we're trying to rectify the ship kind of like, you know, the Tao does, it seems. I'm rambling. That was one level of things. I mean, we're like tomorrow is a full moon. Uh, in Aries right now, um, Saturn has just gone direct. These are little things, but uh, right now, uh, Mars is in Aries retrograde, and Chiron is in Aries. Aries is like the self, the warrior, how we kind of like act in the world. 
Um, Steve is in Aries, actually, so this might be a pretty big day tomorrow, now, you know, next like couple hours for you. Uh, in the sense that, like, we're dealing with trauma and wounds of the self at a highly magnified level. And, like, and, and deep purging. Full moons are about, like, release and purge um, and letting go. Whereas new moons are more about seeding and planting and starting anew. So uh, I'm kind of getting lost in my imaginations here. But the point is, the divine clock reflects a lot of what's going on. Um, but like we've said before, and I forget who said it, I'm not the one to quip it, but the map is not the territory. So it's like astrology tells us kind of the direction things will go, but it doesn't necessarily show how it's going to flush out exactly. So on the one hand, it's not surprising. On the other hand, it's fascinatingly uh, interesting because it's not, I mean, no one would have predicted COVID and face masks and breathing and Corona. Um, I actually was looking at some comments, I think on the YouTube channel. Um, of that interview you guys just did. Um, and people were pointing out that um, COVID-19, one and nine is AI. The letters are, are like numerologically represented that way. Like A is one, nine is I. Just weird shit. So it's like, it's a strange you know, magical time. Just so you know, Jim, it's the one thing they say, I mean, there may be many layers, but is COVID-19 for certificate of vaccination ID AI. Oh, wow. Okay, so this, yeah, I mean, there were times probably a few years ago where I'd probably be just like nursing a beer or like smoking weed right now because I'm freaking out. And right now I'm just going to take a deep breath and be like, well, these are the stakes of a game. Like, it seems like, and I have to tell myself this, and if this is naive and incorrect, God help me. But it's like, we've played, we've set the video game on very hard. And, and it's like, or the movie, you know, it's like, the, it's the moment in the second act when shit's hitting the fan. And it's like, all right, we're going to step in here at this time. And we're going to deal with these things on these levels. Um, but like you were saying, Bill Hicks is like, enjoy the ride. There's like twists and turns and jar, you know, like the ride does a lot of things. Life does a lot of things. We can't guarantee it's easy. We can't guarantee it's uh, in, in terms of like material wealth or like, you know, sexual freedom or, you know, all these things. Like there's, there's ups and downs and ebbs and flows. But at the same time, it's a ride. We've inserted the coin. It's insert 25 cents. Like, here we are. I'm not all about simulation theory necessarily, though I'm not against it. Um, and we're embarked, as they say. Like, we're on the journey. So um, I kind of want to let you guys uh, say anything. There's actually something I want to read at the very end here that's like a little, like a page or so. I think you guys might find it interesting and rather helpful on the flip end of this. But I kind of want to get maybe um, some perspectives on what. I, I, if, if I may. Yeah, yeah. I'd just like to paraphrase, paraphrase what you said, because I think it's extremely interesting what you said. And, you know, I think this is, this whole thing is an initiation ritual to take us into the new paradigm. And it's a huge, great catharsis and a huge, great healing. So that's exactly why I think this whole thing of, you know, we can never define what it is because it's so huge, you know, but the 5G, the COVID, the world takeover, the attempted genocide, you know, this whole thing that we're facing. Um, I actually think that uh, ultimately it's it's a, a great learning experience and a great transformation. It's taking us to a great place, you yeah? So I think the whole thing is extremely positive. We just have to view it in the right light. Well said, and and it's very important. One other thing I didn't really mention about astrology that's very critical, Uranus, which is the higher octave of Mercury, but Uranus is electricity. We were talking about electricity earlier. Um, chaos and revolutions. 
when they discovered Uranus uh, with a telescope in the 1600s, it was right around the Industrial Revolution and the French and American revolutions, uh, you know, like so as above, so below, scientific revolution, even though we're all kind of thinking that went too far. Um, so Uranus right now is in Taurus, um, and Taurus is about values and like embodiment and your physical things like your body, your car, your tastes in like, you know, do you want a glass of Cabernet Sauvignon or a pizza, vegan pizza or whatever, like those kinds of things, money, right? So Uranus, which is chaos and revolution and like electric change, essentially is in Taurus. That's also happening. You know, so there's a lot of things happening right now. So it doesn't surprise me in a weird way that Musk, I mean, if one were to look at it in terms of just like a um, like a spreadsheet of like uh, like a, kind of like Terence McKenna had done with his uh, time wave zero, uh, but in a flip way maybe um, where it's just you're looking at like trends. It's not terribly surprising that an automated kind of electrical culture has come to a point where we've you know gotten smaller and smaller and smaller in a certain way, and we're kind of getting to an AI place or a let's go to Mars place or a holographic invasion or you know blue beam stuff it's not terribly surprising but at the same time it's even written in the astrology which doesn't have any bearing necessarily on the um specific fleshing out if that makes sense so they kind of complement each other so on the one hand wow uh, it's like you know uh charles dickens said the best of times the worst of times that's every fucking moment of the Tao. always like there's this always this polarity it's always as bad as it probably could be in some ways and as amazing as it could be in some ways and that's why it's so amazing at all it's this continuum of, of uh dynamic polarity um anyway i'm kind of rambling uh i sorry i tend to do that when i get gas it's kind of like a kid i uh, love the way you ramble and i find it absolutely fascinating well thank you that's helpful it makes me feel a little less crazy about that so is there anything you guys want to kind of talk about in terms of maybe where to go with this what you guys hope to accomplish not only with I think I get the point of like, hey, if we say it's a Trojan horse, like people know there's people on the Trojan horse, they're not going to be freaked out when they come out of the Trojan horse. Maybe they won't. Maybe we, you know, push it down the hill or whatever, and they don't even, you know, the analogy fails at some level. But um, I think I get your point with like being aware of it is half the battle. Knowledge is power, kind of thing. Um, what are you guys looking into? I mean, I just watched the presidential debate or whatever one wants to call that circus. Maximus uh, last night in America and it's just I can't I mean I think people are being pressured through cognitive dissonance through karma you know all sorts of weird stuff where it's just like we've got to make the change like there's no choice really it's it's not well, even a choice uh, in uh, law of one even though we just had Corin Wilson called priestess on who also has her issues with that text but as a base reference point I found it highly useful and what they're just talking about is that it's all about catalyst. And obviously, by now, the catalyst has increased and potentiated in a sense. And what is the point of it? Within this framework, at least. And again, I would contend that Jesus says the same again when he says, Be ye cold or be ye hot. If ye are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Simply meaning, it is time to make a choice. A choice of polarization and therefore a choice between integration or separation. It's like red pill, blue pill time. There's not really just kind of sitting there tapping your foot saying, I don't know. Um, and that's okay. I think, I think in a way everyone has a role to play and what they choose is their choice. Ironically, there's a Rush song, a rock band from Canada. They had a song where uh, a lyric is, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. 
So you've been trying to sit it out. I mean, that's the blue pill. If you try to, and I tend to do this when it gets really weird. I put my head in the sand. I I go to you know escapism or culture and try to just distract myself. I do appreciate that you guys are willing and able to uh, both stomach and uh, enjoy. It seems, um, you know, going to the front line of consciousness in a very real way. Uh, it's a lot harder than most would probably presume. Um, but in some weird way, like it's the trip you guys want to have. So that's why you're having it. So I applaud both of y'all for being courageous in the fact that you're willing to do it. Like you're, you're taking the red pill and going down the rabbit hole. But at the same time, um, it seems like both of you have your heads on straight in terms of like having a bigger picture that allows you to be able to find, you know, find your breath, find your center, be at peace, hold on loosely and enjoy the ride kind of thing. Totally. And, um, and I totally agree when you quoted, um, it's just a ride, Bill Hicks. That's one of my favorites. And, uh, summer on YouTube, um, somebody has turned that into, um, a song called the big electron. It's a combination of Bill Hicks and George Carlin. And it's just hilarious. And I play it quite often just to remind myself that it is just a ride. Well, uh, is there anything that we're not kind of massaging out of this idea or this train of thought um, that you guys would like to kind of speak now about that? Yeah, I love I love that it's just a ride and you can change it anytime you want. No effort, no job, no savings of money. It is only a choice right here, right now between fear and love. In the spirit of the great man, Bill Hicks, and the coupling of humor and exposing truth with humor is just amazing. And I think we've covered a lot of ground today. It's been a fascinating chat and it's always fascinating what comes out when uh, five different points of view, no, four actually. <laughs> Am I double here? <laughs> uh, four different points of views come together. Um, and I think we've covered a lot of ground and the one thing I do want to share at the end is uh, about my personal journey and I'll be very cryptic with that because maybe that's for another show because I really enjoyed this and always enjoy um, speaking with you, Jim and Raphael, you know, the different energies that come together and it's a beautiful, beautiful painted picture that we put together and also Claire today I think I, I, I'll set up the, the next show that we do because it's all about sharing and caring you know this is why I think the Economist magazine front cover was so brilliant because it also showed that this is a all a, a, every, anything that you have to do actually condenses to the point of making your own choice between fear and love your own personal choice of being a sovereign being and putting on the corona on the top of your head and not wearing your mask anymore and it uh and also what I what I want to share is that in my personal experience in an encrypted way I want to give that forward that we're in the middle of the Telestai takeover, the Gnostic takeover, and it's inevitable. It is inevitable because um, the the Gnostics didn't call themselves Gnostics. They were only called by the church fathers, Gnosticos, 
Gnosticos, you that know it all better. You always know it all better. Well, if I'm more informed and better informed than you, then I bloody well know it better, they would probably say. But they themselves, they call themselves the Telestai, the Telos. They, they were Telos, aimed. And they were those who were aimed. And what I see, what is happening right now, is that we're taking over the entire realm, the people of Gnostics, the, the those endowed with Gnosis in their own unique way uh, through any type of um, system of initiation, be that numerology, be that the Enneagram of psychology, be that the tarot cards or anything, we need to believe in ourselves and realize the true power that we have and everything has brought us in our life to this point. And now together we are happy to take over this world in co-creation, in co-creative production with the planetary intelligence, our mother Gaia, who's the greatest power on this planet. And she has given us the ticket and the we've been activated and I think it's going to be fascinating to see where this whatever this is leads but I think we're taking over the whole realm and I'm fascinated by it I don't want to control anyone I don't ever want to take a government uh, position or whatever but I think things are going to get really interesting now and you can only create what you can imagine but that's what I see in the future we have a beautiful thing coming up and we're connecting with the human family and creating a new world and then we go on to the next level of evolution and whatever star system we want to uh, choose to experience afterward. Huh? Wouldn't that be nice? Boy, I've actually got something I want to read in closing, but I want to make sure you got it. It'll only take like a minute or two. I think it's really apt uh, and apropos um, for what's going on. But I, um, And as far as what you were saying, Steve, let's definitely get you back on. And uh, I mean, you're fun to have on. Claire, feel free to come on anytime with or without others, whatever's clever. Um, Claire or Steve, uh, are there any kind of parting thoughts before I read this little ep excerpt? I've read it before, but I think it's rather, like I said, kind of uh, fitting with what you just said and the kind of teleological direction of where this whole conversation has gone. Yeah, I, I'd like to say that uh, this conversation, I've also found it really, really fascinating. I'm really looking forward to listening to it afterwards and really appreciating it. Um, and so my message to people is that uh, I constantly have to leave my comfort zone and, um, and that's really challenging, but it's also really exciting and because we all want to grow ultimately. Yeah? And so the way I see this is as a joint effort, you know, we've had this conversation, I think it must be clear to people that we are searching, you know, we're looking at all the parameters and all the factors of this and speculating, delving, trying to work out what's going on and where it's going, where it's leading and, and what the point of it all is. And, and I think it demonstrates what a joint effort this all is. And so I think everybody needs to get involved. You know, P 
people say, oh, yes, but, you know, I, I, I don't know what I could do. I, I don't know what contribution I could make. Well, I think it doesn't matter. You, the contribution you make is who you are. It's a function of who you are. You know, it's whatever it is, it, and it, it doesn't matter. Your contribution is a product of who you are, and you came here to be who you are. And this process is leading you to who you are. It's leading you, it's forcing you to become yourself, to find yourself, to define yourself, to be an authentic you. Yeah. So I see this whole thing as a huge joint effort and everybody needs to be involved. If if somebody's not involved, there's a piece missing from the jigsaw. Yeah. So I think that uh, you know we're we're all searching this this we're going down this labyrinth and uh, you know we don't know which which routes to take, but we're trying this and trying that, and basically we all need to pile in and just do what we can do and and join the ride. Well said. Um, I'm going to read this really quick, and then I guess we can have, you know, any, if anybody wants to comment or whatever, we can at that point. This is coming from um, the Mayan Oracle. This is like card and book I got on my, with my fiance. It's a galactic language of light by Ariel Spilsbury and Michael Briner. And I'm not sure who exactly wrote this part, but it says the mythic call. And I think this is kind of what we're getting to where it's like we've already made the choice. And that's what this incarnation is, and that's the roles we're playing and stuff. And we just have to kind of remember, like in the Matrix, you already made a choice. You just have to figure out why you made that choice. And that's kind of what life seems to be, like an uh, amnesia about the choice we've already made. But this is, says, um, and it's just going to take a second, uh, the mythic call, an invitation to transformation. Once upon a time, a galactic council was called, and a mythic call was sent out to countless light beings, the children of the sun, the angelic winged ones, the Sun Runners, the Rainbow Warriors, and other luminous beings from many star systems. This great circle of light beings gathered from far and wide. At the appointed nexus, the love and spinning uh, the love of the spinning galaxies entered, gracing them all with ravening celestial light. In the following words: quote, "You are being invited to incarnate upon a world where a great transformation is taking place." Began the love of the spinning galaxies. You who respond and embody this call will go to a place where the illusions of fear and separation are being played out, and the galactic cycle of evolution is coming to both an end and a new beginning. I am calling those with the needed talents and gifts to act as my emissaries there to lift and transform the frequencies of planet Earth simply by embodying and anchoring love's presence there. You will, by your very presence, transmute into love the vibration of fear that now blankets consciousness there. In this myth, you will play yourselves, Holy innocence, divine child creators of this new reality of the golden octave. The love of the spinning galaxies continued. On other journeys, each of you has proven to be a feeling navigator, able to awaken your consciousness and align your heart to the promptings of pure love and compassionate service. As sunrunners and torchbearers, you have already demonstrated that you will hold the light high. And so, I invite you to incarnate en masse among the tribes of Earth to assist Gaia and all her children in their initiation of the transmutation of matter. This transformation coming to Earth is very rare and precious, even among the many miracles of the cosmos. The magnificence of your loving presence will greatly assist the Earth in utilizing the alchemical frequencies of transformation that will open up new dimensional realities. You are, the div you are diviners of harmony, 
who transform simply through your vibrational presence. It is part of the plan that you will be veiled in forgetting so that you will experience directly what this level of fear and separation feels like, such that you can transform it from the inside out. The mystery of the spinning galaxies went on. However, as you remember the feeling of the sacred garden of childlike innocence and trust, you will become the harmonic leavening in this cycle of initiation for Earth. You will incarnate strategically, often in some of the most vibrationally dense areas on the planet. You who embrace this mythic call, walking into this illusion, may forget the splendor of who you are as light beings, experiencing the overwhelming density of Earth. To some, this illusion of separation from love may create feelings of hopelessness, lack of support, and vibrational alienation. Very, the very gifts which are being called forth to assist Gaia may be seen as a cause, a cause for resistance, fear, and projection by that which is being transformed. Yet it will be your love that will transform the depths of duality, and your frequencies of light that will quicken the many. Your participation on this mythic quest is purely voluntary. However, this transformational shift on Earth is very rare and precious. The Earth is spinning into a powerful nexus of evolution. You are being invited to incarnate as a single global family on Earth. Should you choose to accept this mission, you will have the opportunity to catalyze and synthesize all that you have been during many incarnations, receiving a rarely offered quantum leap in consciousness. It is up to you as myth makers to choose how you will dance with Terra Gaia and her children as she completes her ceremony of light. So spoke the light of the spinning galaxies. And so it was that the luminous beings who formed the countless alliances, federations, and councils of the faithful of the stars chose to incarnate on planet Earth to assist in this crucial event, the awakening of consciousness from dream of matter, form, and separation. As warned, many luminous beings have indeed forgotten who they are and why they came to Earth, but there was even a fail-safe process built into the plan to awaken these beings from the veil of forgetfulness that is so rife upon Earth. The luminous ones who had journeyed to Gaia's assistance agreed to spark each other's remembrance, that the mythic grandeur of the cosmic play of light in the grandeur of hologram and the greater hologram would be played out victoriously. Thus, these star-seated ones were encoded with many uh, sounds, colors, lights, images, words, and symbols, a vibrational resonance that would assist them in remembering their commitment to the light. The celestial sounds of the crystal singers would catalyze deep remembrances of their star coatings. It was agreed that these coded clues would appear everywhere in visionary art and music and penetrating looks in speech and in feelings, all creating a deep yearning to awaken and become the embodiment of love. These symbols would act as an alarm going off, assisting them in awakening and staying in their joy. These companions of destiny were encoded in the very cells of their bodies with the new galactic template in consciousness, awakening them to the power of their simple presence and love. So it is that you, children, uh, so it is that you, the children of the sun, are now being bathed in the waters of remembrance, prepared as rainbow warriors to fulfill the promise of the new and ancient myth unfolding. You embody the key to igniting unity consciousness on earth, ushering Gaia and her children into their radiant robes of light. Know that the magic you were born with is indeed real. The feast of the light players is coming together to celebrate as one heart. By simply anchoring love's presence on earth, you lovingly draw down the mantle of the gods, sending waves of healing and uplifting energy throughout Gaia's eagerly receptive body. As you emerge in this time, your gifts awaken and empower others, utilizing the tools of laughter, Song, dance, humor, joy, trust, and love, you are creating the powerful surge of transformation 
that will transmute the limitations of the old myth of duality and separation, birthing the miracle of unity consciousness on earth. The time is now, luminous children of the sun, incomprehensible is the joy of creation, that you feel called to gather together in ever-widening circles of the great heart mandala of light, which will one day ignite a critical mass triggering a power surge, which will transmute matter into a higher octave of being. You are called into wakefulness, sun-eyed children of the marvelous dawn. Ancient Skywalkers, rise up. Utilize your gifts on behalf of Gaia. In a supernova of consciousness, Gaia and her children will ascend in robes of light, forming a luminous light body of love to, to be reborn among the stars. The mythic call has been sounded. The mythic quest begun. Awaken, Rainbow Warriors, Sunrunners, luminous beings from the galactic alliances, variations, and councils of the stars. Ancient Skywalkers, stand in the beauty and power of your true identity as love's gift to Gaia. Set aside self-doubt. You are a divine child of the sun. Go where your heart draws you to share your great gifts. Surrender to the magic that you are as love, and the miracles will be manifested here on earth. Return to the garden. Return to the sun. Return to innocence. Return to the one. Remember, we dance and sing here for the one heart. Beautiful. Thank you. I figured it was apropos because it seems like we're all kind of igniting each other and various people have different roles and it's all good. But I, I really do appreciate and applaud you guys for doing what you do. Um, it, you know, you signed up for an interesting mission. So keep on keeping, as they say. And uh, yeah, just enjoy the fucking ride, right? Exactly. That's what it's about. <laughs> absolutely. That's what it's about. And I, this is that was absolutely beautiful and that's what it's all about to ignite the flame in each other and keep um, reminding each other that it's the experience of experiencing ourselves. what's been mostly hidden from us is to experience ourselves, and that's what we're here for and that was beautiful and it dovetailed with so many things we said here it's it's an outstanding piece of uh, information sharing that we did today thank you for that thank you for everything most definitely. Claire, I appreciate your coming. Steve, thanks for coming again. And we'll, like I said, get you guys on together separately, whatever whatever y'all prefer. Um, I guess in parting, I'm just going to say, find the others, guys. Like, that's the whole point. Some of y'all have been put on mission, and we're stirring each other out of the cocoons. Everybody's on board the ship, but some people are going to play music while the Titanic sinks, and some people are going to row the boats. And, you know, all, everybody has a little kind of metaphorical plot, you know, point in the story so enjoy it and find the people that you want to be telling the story with thank you so much for joining claire and steve thank you jim as always claire would you like to say something in closing i just wanted to say thank you very much for a really interesting conversation and um i think it's you know for me Personally, it's been extremely valuable. We do what we can here at Team Rabbit Hole. I appreciate your appreciation. <laughs> but we'll yes. love fest. Rafa, you go ahead and wrap it up. But uh, yeah, we'll get you guys back on here for sure. So again, thank you so much uh, for joining and participating. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And dare I say, for being so bold as to incarnate within these times. And yeah, all it takes is a choice between fear and love. Thank you all. Enjoy the ride.
one last thing. I picked this outro song. It's a Seal song. Everyone will remember this from like the '90s. It was big in like you know Gap, probably, and you know malls, uh, the radio. But the lyrics are like, "We're never gonna. Uh, we gotta go a little crazy to survive." So be inventive and and be imaginative. That's the point, uh, if anything, of this song. But I figured that would make sense to this proposal from the well, everything we've talked about, the economists and everything. So enjoy the song. Radio